Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Yash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jace Dickey. And for the first time since July, we don't have a guest. Yeah, we checked. It's I think July 15th was our last episode without a guest on, so back to the trio. Just going to be us bullshitting in your ears for a while. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's going to be fun. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. Before we start in on our topic, do we want to do our normal reading the sequences thing? I think we have to. We're oh, yeah. contractually it's obligated. Yeah. Damn, those contracts are harsh, man. Well, at least this this one's fun. So yeah, first one was radical honesty, which at a the quick overview is that he's much harsher of it than we were on the episode that we talked about. Well, actually, I wasn't on that episode, but when this podcast covered it, uh, we had proponents of it, and I think that I was interested in his take on the idea. Mm-hmm. So we'll let's let's dive right in. We'll link our episode as well, or you can just search radical honesty. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, I haven't updated our uh, archive page in a while, though. I should do that. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, the Radical Honesty Post, he starts off basically just saying uh, Crocker's rules are great. They're a mirror image of Radical Honesty, where you, uh, rather than telling the whole truth to people, you always strive to allow others to tell you the complete truth without being offended, which I just bring up because I know you, Stephen, are a big fan of Crocker's rules and you try to invoke them often. Yeah, we've talked about it here on the show, too. I think, um, I haven't, I don't think I've mentioned it before, you know, in, to, in, to anybody, but like... I, maybe it would be something to bring up. I think I mentioned an episode or two ago um, when David messaged me and he's like, "Hey, you're you're misusing the word. I think misnomer or something." Mm. And he's like, "Would you mind if I, you know, would you be offended if I corrected him?" I'm like, no, fuck no, tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, I should, you know, I could just have like as my status or like my reply to that could have just been a link to the Wikipedia page for Crocker's <laughs> rule. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, I no, think I it's actually like, I liked what you said about that where you were like. Other people would be like, oh, you're trying to make me look stupid and get all mad about it. And you're like, no, I already look stupid. Now I'll look less stupid if you like tell me what the correct version is. And I'm like, yeah, that's like basically how I wish everyone would respond to criticism where it's just like, oh, am I doing something wrong? I would like to be better. Please help. Right. And, you know, the, the, I think Crocker's rule is the kind of thing that works with certain kinds of relationships. Yeah. Like, like assuming the person was trying to do that in good faith and not like. Exactly. It's there. It's, it's not an open invitation <laughs> to be an asshole. But it's like, do you want do you want feedback on this and not have me spend 30 minutes dancing around it? It's like, yeah, totally. Just give me the five second version. So, kind of wish more of the world invoked Crocker's rules just because I have a lot of anxiety sometimes, like trying to tell people something that I don't think they're going to take well. And mm-hmm. I end up just not doing it and living with, uh, you know, this thing about them that keeps grating on me or whatever. And it's just, it's not great. Oh, yeah. And like 90% of the time, once I do actually bring it up, they're like, oh, yeah, that's that's fine. Thanks for telling me. Like, God damn it. <laughs> this whole time. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So uh, next thing uh, where you said that he's rather harsh on radical honesty. Uh, I the, pull, the quote that I pulled that I think um, is what you're getting at is he says, I wonder whether practitioners of radical honesty tend to become more adept at self-deception as they stop being able to tell white lies or admit private thoughts to themselves. Which is a a hell of a take, which I wish I had thought of myself, because if it becomes really uncomfortable to tell people the truth, but you have this this uh, philosophical commitment to only say the truth, maybe you start lying to yourself without knowing it. Uh, this is, I should mention, they're talking about Blanton's uh, take on like the, the original person that coined the term radical honesty. And that's the one that I disagree with, too, where it was literally just like brain to mouth whatever random ass thought pops into your head, say, you know, like you go up to Starbucks and you're like, Hey, I'd like a latte. Nice ass, by the way. (laughs) Like that's obviously not the type of radical honesty that I practice or endorse. (laughs) Yeah. I want to, I'm glad you reminded me of that because I feel like that's almost a straw man. 
and like right, even if it is the original like, yeah that it's still like <laughs> all right cool you're, you're, out of itself yeah your original was was straw as fuck because the, there's a difference between being able to be forthcoming with people in a way that you feel good about and just not having no filter i feel that even makes you almost like slightly less human to have to literally yeah. remove the filter between your brain and your mouth that's like that's part of where your introspection and your inner life comes from, is the yeah. monitoring of your own thoughts. I've done a lot of uh, work towards being able to say, like, kind of what you were t- saying a minute ago, Inuyash, it being hard to give people criticism or, like, admit certain things. Um, but I've had a lot of good progress towards being able to say, like, I have this thought, I don't endorse it, but, like, here, my, I have this anxiety thought that's, like, saying this, can you tell me something, you know, that counters this so I can stop having this thought? And that's the kind of thing that you need to have that level of, okay, like, stop, notice you're having a thought. <laughs> Do you endorse this thought or not? Where is it coming from? Like, this is, yeah, this, this whole, like, skill that will help improve your self-knowledge, your relationships with others. <laughs> uh, I think it's an interesting sh- social experiment to try to do this sort of thing. And like, but yeah, I would never try to do this as like a life philosophy. It'd be a great way to get your ass kicked or slapped or something, right? Yeah. Uh, He suggested only being radically honest with others who have also taken the vow of radical honesty. Which is essentially just like two people who have openly said we can apply Crocker's rules to this conversation. Yeah. Which I feel like is basically what Jace's version of radical honesty entails. Yeah, you want the consent of the other person. Like, um, I don't think the other person has to be practicing radical honesty or whatever, but like... I at least like try to like if I'm you know real with you, <laughs> is that gonna offend you or like do you, do you want to hear a possibly a, a thought that might be hard to to hear a difficult thought you know like it feels a lot like radical body acceptance we're like yeah it's a good thing but there's social rules against walking around naked and if you have accepted your body body that radically that you're comfortable walking around naked you still got to remember that other people are not in that space yet and we have laws. <laughs> <laughs> My main thing is that I just think it was fun because this was the first time I'd heard about it. And I feel like the concept has evolved to a much more like likable and defensible position rather than just word vomit. Like, what was your phrase, Jace? Brain to mouth? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. perfect. That, that is not how anyone ought to conduct themselves, I think, in real life. Um, so the, the, the version now seems to be like the grown-up version of it, and I like it more. Yeah. He ends with saying that... Um I think it was near the end, that maybe radical honesty would be best reserved for matters that are sacred to a rationalist. Uh, then he points out, in some domains, this is already the case. We believe that scientists should tell the whole truth about science, in italics. It's one thing to lie in everyday life. Lie to your boss, lie to the police, lie to your lover. But whoever lies in a journal article is guilty of heresy and will be excommunicated. <laughs> Which, first of all, I love that concept. And up until, you know, maybe a few months ago, I would have cheered. And now, instead, I, I made the crying eyes emoji after this. <laughs> because, you know, first we have China with their just literal literal blatant um paper mills where they make up fake science to get a a publication i heard about that in the mind killer that was like (sighs) hilarious and so sad and and then just a few days ago wes posted in our discord a uh, thing which we'll probably bring up the next mind killer um about uh the replication crisis 
Mm-hmm. And a guy read uh, over 2,000 papers and came to the conclusion that most scientists kind of know. They, they have not been misled by p-hacking. They kind of know their, their paper is probably bullshit. And everyone else cites papers without even reading the papers. They just look at the title and say, oh, yep. yeah. Everybody in the industry knows about it. It's yeah. like the replication crisis was pointed out by people in the industry. And it's probably like, I'm glad that at least... It's something that is talked about openly and people are trying to address. Yeah. And I think even like the Chinese paper mills, which it sucks, but on the other hand, it's like, oh, good, this is going to like make it necessary to do replication. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> hope there's a lot more replication. Because right now it looks like pretty much everybody is guilty of some level of heresy and no one has been excommunicated. And this makes me sad. I think a few years excommunications. Ago- <laughs> <laughs> I think a few years ago there was an episode of the Julia Galef on rationally speaking i forget who their guest was so i i couldn't cite this but it was it was talking about the replication crisis and this this person was involved in a project to like basically say i will i commit to publishing this paper before i do the experiment and so whatever whatever the result is i will publish it and that will help not necessarily just with replication but with uh, p hacking mm-hmm. and then they were like yeah w- w- our goal here is to get like a little badge on every site where you go look for stuff and says yep this has the badge of they committed to publishing this yeah cool. pre pre registering your hypothesis this is already um it's already a sacred value of science but well, like I'm actually just doing say it's it. already being done oh good a lot of uh like in clinical research nice yeah this was this must could have been almost 10 years ago when I heard this episode. So Don't most journals not publish negative results, though? Yeah, I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. Um, but like any online repository of, of journal articles or, or of, of art of findings, I guess. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's that's what an insane incentive there. It'd be one thing for some lesser domain, but for science to say, no, no, we're only going to publish the interesting positive stuff. It's like, what are you fucking talking about? Mm-hmm. Finding there's nothing there is very valuable. Yeah. yeah. At the very least, it'll save other people from digging in there unless they find fault with the way we did it, right? Absolutely. God. Yeah. All right, so that radical honesty discussion went a number of places. I, w- I had originally pitched, like, we should just skip this since we did an episode <laughs> on it, but I'm glad we didn't. It was all new stuff. Yeah. This one was kind of fun. We don't really want your participation. <laughs> it sounded condescending as hell at a glance, and I think it's it's defensible, especially with, like, the last sentence in the post. Yeah, I think it's a deliberately inflammatory yeah. title. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, I don't know. I actually sort of love those. I forget what... It was like BuzzFeed or something. There, there was one of those like major online publications that for a while was doing this trolling article style of... Actually, like the truth is that pickles are terrible and people who eat them are bad people. And here's why or something like that. Like It was just like excessively like one person's pet peeve that they like wrote as though okay look we all know that this is <laughs> anyway mike mike Rabiglia does a thing like that when he's talking about late people oh yeah and then he's like and, you know and they're so racist that's the thing about them too late people are so racist <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps horns affecting everything onto people who can't be on time mm-hmm. um anyway who wants to summon this one up well, I, I suppose I could do it. All right. Somebody has to. All right. Uh, so there was, a, he was at the Singularity Summit. These next two posts are about this uh, conference of people working in AI stuff. And a, a question came from the audience at the end of a panel. And there was an artist asking, hey, uh, what can we do as artists to help in this process? Yeah, well, that they were saying uh, a bunch of speakers had, were like, oh, we should reach out to artists and poets and get them to participate. Oh, and then right. a woman stands up. I was like, hey, I'm an artist. What can I do? Yeah. 
And then he says, no, uh, you misunderstand. He, he didn't actually say this, but he's like, this is what my thought process was. Because there was just sort of an uncomfortable silence after that question. <laughs> he says, we're just calling for greater participation by artists. We can get plenty of credit for being enlightened just by issuing the call. If we really cared what artists thought, we would find some artists and ask them questions. <laughs> not call for artists to participate. We don't actually want to hear from artists. We think your opinions are stupid. <laughs> Which, it's kind of mean, but on the other hand, you know, if you're an artist, there's not much input you can give directly on issues of programming and AI. And, like, so in the way that makes this not condescending, look at it from the other side. Like, if there was a, a panel on advancing some mathematical domains, and they were like, Stephen, what do you think? It'd be like, why the fuck are you asking me? You don't want my participation. <laughs> right. Or just, like, someone from a completely different domain. Like, if you imagine there's some kind of art theory, like... Yeah. I don't know, like, the, it's a Monet appreciation conference, and they're like, hey, uh, AI developer, come over here, what do you think about, they, uh, is, is this, like, the Impressionism? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. Yeah, they definitely don't want my opinion on that. I went to some art walk a few years ago, and I was just offendedly aghast at how expensive everything was, <laughs> and then I went to the, there, you know, like, real museums with real art are fun. I went to the Museum of Modern Art in New York, <laughs> and it's like, the there Mama? were, there were, yeah. There were black and white pictures of like gum melting off the edge of a table. Mm. And I'm like, squint. Like, that's not art. <laughs> like, is it? If this is art, then what the fuck isn't art? Like, art, we know what art is. It's cool shapes and colors. It's not like, sure, that meant something to somebody, but like, I feel like there's some railing on art later in the um, the sequences, but I have no grasp of it. So anyone who wanted my opinion, they don't want they don't want really my my participation in the conversation. I think the reason art, one of the reasons art is so expensive, I mean, there's many signaling reasons and stuff, but I think one of them is just that like people almost never buy art. So yeah. for an artist to make any sort of a living at all, they have to charge an outrageously high price so that one of the few times someone buys something, they're like, oh good, I can eat for three weeks. Well, right. Often it's also actually an hourly wage plus the materials used. People don't realize how long it takes to do an oil painting or how much work it is. Uh, like I have a friend that, is a professional oil painter and sort of like almost sells her stuff at cost if you consider mm. an hourly wage and the amount of the materials and, and like it's paintings that range from like 300 to 700 dollars nice and not just that like the years of practice it took to get that skill yeah that too i mean like i'm, I'm always wages. reminded of the lock picker who comes over here opens your lock up in a matter of under a minute and he's like that'll be 60 bucks and you're like yeah. for one minute of work and he's like if you want to spend 10 years learning how to pick locks then you also can get paid 60 dollars for one minute of work plus 10 years of learning and yeah, art is very much a thing that takes a long time to master. I don't think that that gum picture took that much time or money to make. Probably not, but what, for what a about gum that, picture, what about be? that urinal? There was like a yeah, and it's like the what, thing you is, stole a urinal for for a urinal or for a gum picture to be considered art. It has to be framed by someone who already has a huge name as an artist, and that takes a lot of effort to get. I think a lot of the art price too, at least at the high level, is just money laundering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, hey, and you, once you get to the really high levels, yeah. yeah. Hey, you took a picture of whatever, a, a, a drawing of yourself. Great. I'll give you $10 million for it. Wink, oh, wink, man. nudge, nudge. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. There's a movie on Netflix that I want to recommend. Uh, it was about uh, like professional visual artists. And it, it's like a murder mystery. But the thing is that it's it's like my, my, the friend I was talking about, he's an oil painter. And I'm like technically an artist, I guess. We're watching this <laughs> and just laughing our asses off because the point of the movie is everyone is just so incredibly pretentious and like living in their own weird art world mm. that even though there's like murders and weird shit going on, like it sort of is in the background of the other drama that's going on in their lives. For, for, uh, 
Uh, let me see if I can find the name of it. For anyone who is not familiar, Jace made the uh, logo for the Bayesian Conspiracy, but he's just technically maybe sort of an artist, he guesses. So. <laughs> I mean, I don't uh, do professional art currently. Yeah, but I guess that doesn't did. count. Oh, it's called Velvet Buzzsaw. It's not like you stopped being an actor just because you were only in one movie. Fair. Okay. He professionally um, made this art, and everyone loves it. That's anyway, right. this movie is called Velvet Buzzsaw. It's very weird and funny. I would recommend it. But right on. Back to the post. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I guess that's sort of the whole point of the post, where it's just sort of we don't need people from like cross genres coming in and giving their opinions. It's not like maybe zero value, but what Elias I think was trying to point out is that like we were doing a signaling thing. Mm. And then, like, I think that this sort of leads into applause lights. Yeah. Did either of you have more to say about participation? Pretty much all I had. Yeah. I mean, he he mentions how, like, bizarrely, uh, not condescending, but how uncomfortable it would be for someone to show him an art and be like, say something and be like, oh, it's beautiful. I love the symmetry. No, no, say something mathematical. You're a mathematician. (laughs) And it's like, I don't have anything unlike that to say. Like, what what are you asking? What are you soliciting my opinion in that domain for? It's just... So like if you, even if you reverse it, that's I think he put that in there. So it's not just seeming like he's besmirching one area. He's saying this this does work in reverse. Like you yeah. can't just like ask somebody for a token opinion. I didn't from, take this as a dig on art at all. I just yeah, I think that was he was trying to make sure that he wasn't like being misrepresented that way either. Totally. But, I, um, I kind of like how he gave an example of them doing applause lights by saying we call on artist participation, <laughs> and then the very next uh, post is called applause lights. Yeah, I actually forgot about, um, we don't want your participation, but Applause Lights is one of those ones that, once you hear it, you'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another one about the Singularity Summit, and one of the speakers called for democratic, multinational development of artificial intelligence. Yes. And so Eliezer asked for some more details, outlined some specific scenarios, like, with more like this or more like this? And the speaker was like, I, I don't know. I, what? Yeah, I think the two the two scenarios were almost worth laying out. Let me, uh, I want to find the whole thing. Basically, it was like, would you rather have an AI that is built by everybody? Like, they all get to vote on how it's made, or like once it's made. Literally every human in the world is given a cell phone where they can answer some questions or something. And that, that was the second option, where like just everybody on the planet gets to vote on how this works out. And the first option was more like a committee of representatives. He actually something. says, uh, suppose a group of rebel nerds develops an AI in their basement and instructs the AI to poll everyone in the world, dropping cell phones to anyone who doesn't have one, and do whatever the majority says. <laughs> Which do you think is more democratic? And would you feel safe with either? Yeah, and the first option he gave was something like a United Nations yes. com- committee something. Designed by committee. Yeah. Always a great idea. And the guy was like... Excellent I, products. Yeah. And the guy basically had no answers for him. And then Eliezer says uh, in the post, look, the substance of a democracy is the specific mechanism that resolves policy conflicts. If all groups had the same preferred policies, there would be no need for democracy. We would automatically cooperate. The resolution process can be a direct majority vote or an elected legislature or even a voter-sensitive behavior of an artificial intelligence, but it has to be something. (laughs) What does it mean to call for a democratic solution if you don't have a conflict resolution mechanism in mind? I think it means that you have said the word democracy, so the audience (laughs) is supposed to cheer. It's not so much a propositional statement or belief as the equivalent as it is as... Sorry. It's not so much a propositional statement or belief as the equivalent of the applause light that tells a studio audience when to clap. This case is remarkable only in that I mistook the applause light for a policy suggestion with subsequent embarrassment for all. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, and if just in case you don't get the reference, uh, often like live action TV, or I don't know if they do this anymore, probably, but like they will instruct the audience when to react in the way that they want them to react to whatever the speaker's saying. So there used to actually just be a, a big like, was it a neon sign that just said applause and they would light it up and yeah. darken it? That, I mean, I guess they, they probably still have applause lights for shows like um, the Colbert. I was going to say for late night shows. I think yeah. they just audiences. have laughter. Did, oh, well, no, they do. They still film them in front of. Yeah, they'd film in front of a live audience. Those types of shows, the the whole David Letterman, Jay Leno style shows where they bring people on and interview them and have comedians and shit. I don't know very much about that, but uh, I do remember recently I was watching a show about the creation of a show. (laughs) It was meta. And uh, they had like, it was actually, I think like six people sitting in a row, like in front of the stage, but like, and I guess the rest was CGI'd in or they only ever like just turned the camera slightly. So you saw sort of the backs of the first people's heads, huh. but it was supposed to look like there was a studio audience when they're like, yeah, weird. Cool. It's but- weird that like, the whole idea of a studio audience is weird, but anyway, I'm getting off topic. It's, I mean, I'm glad we're not doing this in front of people. Um, so the, I like his. <laughs> his- have Drake just like sit here and watch us. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then we'll flash an applause light and he claps. <laughs> Hold up a sign. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I like the reversal test to see if this is an, like to check if something is an applause light. And it's like, just, uh, put, if someone says something and you just reverse the, the intent of the statement, is it completely pointless and ridiculous? If so, it's probably an applause light. So he goes, for example, suppose someone says, we need to balance AI risks and opportunities of AI. If you reverse this statement, you would get, we shouldn't balance the risks and opportunities of AI. <laughs> Since the reversal sounds abnormal, the unreversed statement is probably normal implying it doesn't does not convey new information it's just an applause light yeah um i have seen uh applause lights in real life and i think i probably brought this up years ago when it happened and i mean you, you see them all the time yeah but especially I was, after reading this article suddenly they're everywhere i was i was just at a party at someone's house years ago and we were playing like cards against humanity or something and people would just say things that were like mm-hmm. if you asked it's all uh, applause lights yeah and it was so like it's kind of unnerving. anti-applause lights if it's cards against humanity it depends on the group you're playing with yeah they would be like well, i mean oh, like yeah not in america or something that was like pub, you know like yeah. prison something and then like everyone laughs and some people might have literally clapped maybe that was made it so seem so <laughs> surreal and it's like this that's like the easiest pot shot joke and it's you're not you're not it, like again you're not trying to do this wasn't like the same thing as like a reversal test this this wouldn't pass that but like it was just so weird just like it, it was like really cheap cards against humanity yeah like i it was apples to apples originally. Like, mm-hmm. I, there's so many parties I went to that, like, everyone's like, oh my god, let's play this. It's the funniest. And I was just like, it's not. It, it's really not. <laughs> I, I've grown to unhate it now because when you only play it, like, maybe once every couple of years, it's pretty good. It's the fact that, like, it seemed to be some the only thing everyone wanted to do for the longest time. And, like, any gathering would devolve into playing cards against humanity. And I was yeah. like, oh god, I'm so sick of it. How many times can you make Hitler jokes? The one time I did find it really funny was when I played it with my parents. Okay. Because they're just so insulated <laughs> from anything that, like, they're like, "What is a bigger, blacker dick?" Yeah, they, they, <laughs> it was funny seeing which things they didn't like recognize or didn't know what to do with, and then also having them like sort of aggressively play a card and just be like, "Oh my god, mom!" <laughs> anyway, yeah, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. Next opportunity I get, I'm going to play with my family, minus my grandmother. I won't, I won't expose her <laughs> so, to maybe apples to apples for grandma. Yeah, we've done that before. Okay, but I feel like Cards Against Humanity would just be really funny. I'll put some <laughs> some horrifying shit out, and they'll they'll be aghast, and it'll make me. Every smile. time you draw cards, my parents would cringe and go, "Oh no, can I put this one back? No, I don't." <laughs> <laughs> 
Rush Limbaugh's soft, shitty body. (laughs) (laughs) That's mean. That was one of the cards. I know. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's mean, but it, yeah. like a lot of them are mean. Uh, yes, um, they like are. Like a windmill of corpses. Like, like just random <laughs> bullshit. It's perfect. Okay. All right. I believe that is all the things we have. And yeah, people who are, who are not familiar with the Applause Lights concept before now will probably start seeing a lot more of it. And read the post. It's funny. Yeah. All right. For yeah. next time, we have the episodes Rationality and the English Language and Human Evil and Muddled Thinking. Those sound fun. Hell yeah. Everyone buckle up. Or the laundry <laughs> deliver. You know, I don't remember the... I probably remember the content. I just remember the titles of either of these. So that'll be fun. Cool beans. All right. Was there anything else that we want to t- touch on? Or are we going into our topic? I think we're ready to dive yeah, in. going into the topic. Okay. All right. So, so we're kind of trying to, like, before recording, we're doing our usual pre, like, pre-recording bullshit chat. And we kept sort of being like, oh, wait, I'm talking about <laughs> this topic. So, yeah, let's... We got this uh, listener mail. Uh, titled why are human minds so frustrating which is a good question um uh does anyone i want to summarize it if yeah i'll I'll summarize a bit um so an anonymous uh was it sweden yeah swedish uh listener wrote in person from sweden person from sweden wrote in and basically like uh in a sentence what are some good mental health tips? But I don't feel like that encompasses the bulk of the email. So like, this is what I replied with, and I totally agree. Like with COVID um, currently, but also both uh, intelligence and depression is overrepresented in our community. This seems like a, a permanent problem and like a, a pertinent one right now, like given how depressing the fucking world is right now. I think pertinent is what they meant. I think so. Yeah. But in any case, like just to touch on that, Colorado has been smoky for the last six weeks, eight uh, yeah, weeks. I have no idea. And- Sucks. Yeah, so like we haven't been able to go outside and get fresh air. We haven't been able to go do anything socially in six or eight months, however long it's been. And uh, it's it's a great time to be depressed. Like, it, I mean, well, let me take that back. It's a terrible <laughs> time to be depressed, but it's depression is very much in vogue right now because everything's super fucking depressing. I saw that uh, puppy sales had doubled. Huh, that's during... actually a positive. I well, eh. assuming they're getting from a, from like uh, rescues. Well, no, they're like. It specifically said like puppy prices from breeders has oh. doubled because of de- high demand for dogs during lockdown. It it worries me that uh, after the lockdown ha- is over, maybe the puppies won't yeah. have as much, uh, you know. That's what I'm worried about, too. I'm always worried when people suddenly like animal sales are up, like, oh, it's Easter and like bunny sales are up. And I'm just like, great, everyone's going to buy their like kid of bunny. And then they're going to realize that this isn't actually a stuffed animal. And also, bunnies are mean. Yeah. I love I love bunnies. They're. And they live so fucking They're long. incredibly, like, I don't know, psychologically complex, socially interesting. Uh, but, like, they scream. <laughs> they make these, like, growling noises. They will bite and kick you. They, uh, they they're strong. They aren't potty trainable, so they just kind of poop everywhere with, with their caged up. Yeah. Although, luckily, their poop is, like... Yeah. It doesn't smell, and it's these, like, little BBs. It's herbivore <laughs> poop, so, <laughs> yeah, it's dry. pretty much fine. But still, it's annoying. But, yeah. I know that some places don't sell bunnies around Easter, which is nice. My thing with the dogs, I just assumed, because I'm just too rosy-eyed about the world, that <laughs> once you have a dog, and you've known dog love, you'll never, like, start neglecting it. Because who could ever do that? Well, right? also, I recently read a post which I would like to share at some point. I'll, I'll put a link on if I can find it again. That's it. Basically, most dogs have been bred uh, throughout human dog coevolution times to have a job. Like, they're yeah. supposed to go outside and do stuff. And a lot of dogs that are uh, bought nowadays are bought from those breeds, but they're kept in houses. And so they get neurotic. They don't get enough exercise. They don't have a job. And 
they have anxiety their entire lives, and it's terrible. So it's actually a great like. You if know, you don't have goes... a large property, like a ranch or something, you should probably buy a lap dog breed of dog. The kinds of dogs that are bred to you know lay around the house and be be social rather than shitsus do things. Yeah, shitsus are the best lap dogs. Shitsus are great. They're they're so dumb. I love them. <laughs> yeah, that also helps that they they can't get neurotic or bored because they're just too stupid. Uh, we had a Shih Tzu growing up, but <laughs> my brother has a Border Collie, and yeah, it's it's got some Border neurotic. Border like the worst dog to have as an indoor dog. Oh well, god! And yeah. and I mean, they go outside every day, but she is a little neurotic, and mm-hmm. she like she is obsessive about reflective lights on the ground. Like if there's prisms or like a cell phone <laughs> reflecting, she goes for the carpet like hardcore. Like huh. she she has the need to like hunt and herd whatever she just saw, but she never yeah. gets to hone that urge. Yeah, because she's a herding animal. But I think that she's you know she's had a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. just she hasn't had. She hasn't been able to maximize what she's been built to do. Not to say that people shouldn't, like, if you're prepared for the responsibility of having whatever dog you want, then, like, by all means do. I'm just, like, yeah. talking shit on people that, you know, are like, oh, it's Cocker Spaniel. Look, it's, it's got the puffy ears. Or adopt a cat. If you can't take your dog hunting regularly or doing whatever it was meant to do, it's going to be not... Or simulate those activities, yeah. you know? Like, you could take your dog to the park and have it, like throw a ball for it to catch like for a couple hours as long as you're willing to do it at least like twice a week yeah Yeah. otherwise get 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 a dog that is meant for being indoors i'm just saying cats are fun too we got a cat in december last year yeah cats are perfect yeah What's the the dog that the queen likes those are corgis yeah corgis are lap doggy i actually think that they're really intelligent and get bored really easily yeah they are they are among the smart tier of dogs Mm, you wouldn't think that because how adorable and and cute their faces are yeah yeah, but they're that's the dog we would plan to get eventually when we have a yard but like right now we we have i mean we have access easily to greenery but not just somewhere for it to go run around and run circles in the grass you know so what were they originally bred for the corgis anyone know i should know because i've i I I watched a lot of stuff about corgis um but it's not coming to mind weren't wiener dogs made to like chase down ferrets and yeah. other burrowing creatures that's why they're all, so long pretty and much thin. i think all dogs had a purpose uh when they initially like separated them into distinct breeds yeah. like the dogs were tools for most of well tools pretty and much companions all animals but were, like yeah. yeah but this is the tool that we use to turn grass into meat <laughs> yes but yeah. um as idiot pointed out like animals also um have mental health issues yes <laughs> so we are still on topic that's right <laughs> no, i was actually just reading um it was a book called animal madness and i'm only a couple chapters in but uh it's talking about how structurally similar especially a lot of mammals brains are to human brains and that animals mirror many of the same mental illnesses that humans have mm. uh anxiety depression <laughs> there was um a series of books that uh the nurse at my work keeps in her office um and it was like all birds have anxiety Mm. all dogs have add (laughs) all cats have autism (laughs) and they had like an excellent picture they're like children's books like board books and there's just an excellent picture on the front of each one like the old birds have anxiety was a picture of like a snowy owl with like its eyes really wide (laughs) just like a comical sort of like wide-eyed face but yeah like i love it (laughs) you said at the very beginning that like our community is particularly prone to depression i was i've always wondered about that like we certainly say that and i think we're more open about our depression but no we pulled it but like uh, i wanted to bring up the slate story codex uh i kind of always assumed that everyone has these same mental health issues and they just don't admit it no there's um distinct trends like uh at least like scott pulls a pretty large number 
um, from his Slate Strike Codex community uh, surveys that he does yearly. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of things that are overrepresented uh, and underrepresented in the rationalist community, more so than like if you compare it to just like numbers of polls of the general community. Um, a lot of mental illnesses, uh, LGBTQ. Uh, but if the general community, uh, the general population is basically always lying about how happy they are, then that would be reflected in polls too. They'd be like, yeah, no, we're, well, we're totally great. I, uh, mm. Like I've never gotten to know someone. And They're talking about diagnoses, I think. Yeah. Like they, they had actually, I think, distinguished or differentiated in the poll. Um, do you have a, do you have, you know, ADD? Do you have a diagnosis for ADD? Are you on an ADD medication? Do you not have ADD, but do you self-diagnose? And then also they had like, take the test. And there were the various um, diagnostic criteria tests that they actually use in psychiatry that actually diagnosed me with ADD before I was officially diagnosed. Okay. Um, yeah, I wanted to move on with this uh, to kind of get us more to the meat of this. Um, so uh, I like the 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 person who wrote in said, to be clear, I'm not asking you to solve everyone's problems. <laughs> um, well, thank goodness, because that'd be hard. But uh, and I and I agree with the sentiment. That's why I really wanted to cover this in the episode. But hearing about others' experience could definitely help with the parts of the community like me who feel isolated and can't handle talking to people who, frankly, just don't want who just don't want to get it. Um, <laughs> and like that, that's the thing is, especially now where everyone's at home all the time. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what the situation is like in Sweden. I think can't be worse than here. Um, but yeah, we're closing it on 200,000 deaths uh, in the U.S. from COVID. And like, so we're you know I haven't been to work since the last week of february um it's weird you know you can do video calls and stuff with your coworkers, but that's never the same um because it's just so easy to not you don't have to engage yeah so all that social engagement goes completely to to crap um i like this he says uh or they say rather i'm a physicist and when I've studied some psychology, I've gotten so frustrated at the hand-wavy nature of it. Damn it, why is it too much to ask that we clearly define problems and find solutions? Why must our monkey brains be less intuitive and consistent than quantum mechanics? Because they're built on quantum mechanics. <laughs> Bad news, psychology is, uh, when compared to physics, uh, like, almost crank science. But, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, sci- it's science, it's scientific, but... Like physics is the sta- the gold standard for me, um, right. especially if you were talking about p hacking earlier. Like uh, the you know p values in psychological studies are like 0.05, and I think in physics it's like 0.0005. I forget, <laughs> but like a one in twenty chance of this being a uh, chance in physics would be you'd be laughed out the door, right? right. Um, but you're allowed to publish a paper with saying, yeah, there's a twenty, there's a five percent chance that this is a uh, you know. Uh, complete randomness. Yeah. It's like, what are you fucking kidding me? Get back here with real numbers. <laughs> so that said, we have made strides in uh, the the field, and it depends on you know what subfield you're looking at too. Um, yeah, you know, social sciences are harder because you can't do random you know experiments on large populations that involve like, well, what happens if you uh, improperly nourish somebody from ages you know zero to five? Like right. you, you, so those those sorts of things, you just have to look at the data that is available that's part of what makes psychological science and social science harder is that you can't do the proper kinds of experiments. And before we continue real quick, you actually have a degree in psychology. Yeah. Oh yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you have some relevant knowledge here. Yeah. I went more for the cognitive stuff, not the psychotherapy stuff. Mm. Um, But you have to take all the things to get a degree because that's how degrees work. Oh, they would make Um, you take like the old Freudian bullshit stuff. The what? The old Freudian bullshit stuff. 
I'm not sure what that is. No. Oh, like Freudian. I think you said 40 and. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, you hear about Freud. Uh, I don't think I was ever... Oh, but they didn't make you, like, seriously study his stuff. No, I don't think so. I mean, okay. like, you you become familiar... Like, kind of like my... Like why... the history of psychiatry. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. You learn Freud about... and Jung and... Yeah, I learned about it more in, in history of psych classes than I did, like, an actual psych uh, practice stuff. Okay. Um, now it's all about cognitive behavioral therapy, which I think is the, if we have anything like a, a silver bullet for this, it's that. Um, and I know Jason knows a lot more about CBT because cognitive behavioral therapy is a lot of, of <laughs> syllables, um, than I do. And I want to get into that at length at some point in here. So, yeah. Although we're not going to try to solve everyone's problems. <laughs> no, no, no. And <laughs> but, I, uh... maybe promising a silver bullet is too much, but I, I do think that like, in fact, this, I'm glad this brought to mind. I, was listening to an interview with Jonathan Haidt on the drive over, and he wrote or co-wrote a book called The Happiness Hypothesis, which might be worth reading. I haven't actually read it, but the way he sells it, it sounds very valuable. He talks about um, the, like, the values of meditation, CBT, and Prozac. Okay. And like the these all work for different you know populations across different cases, and the combination of them probably works for many people in many cases. Um, the Again, combination and tends to be what works best. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just like with with most any sort of ailment, you know, like, what do I do to fix my sore ankle? Well, you take anti-inflammatory meds and you do physical therapy for it. Like, you know, the more things you're doing to make it better, the more chances you have of it working. But yeah, many of those complement each other as well. Exactly. So we'll, we'll get into that. But I, I did have a recommendation for something that I haven't read personally, but I, it was sold to me very well by its author who stands to make money from it being sold. <laughs> Um, called The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt. For what it's worth, I think he's a sane guy who didn't write this to make money. He wrote it because he was very interested in it. So um, at least there's that. Anyway, I don't yeah. know where to go from here. Well, um, what the person, what our Swede friend was asking for is a conversation sort of about mental health with like hearing others' experiences. So uh I think something funny that happened was that we were trying to record this a few days ago and all of us were too depressed to do it. <laughs> so we had to like cancel it and then put it off. Well, there's also like technical difficulties and stuff, but, um, but we could have gotten around those, but like definitely can relate. I mean, I am not to say that I was like happy to get this email, you know, of like someone struggling with depression, but at the same time, it's sort of like, yeah, this is really relevant, especially right now. I'm dealing with a lot of psych stuff myself. Um, I love my, a lot of my friends and partners are, and it, they're like, you know, stuff exacerbated by COVID, but it's lifelong stuff too. Um, I'm just like starting to finally get diagnosed properly and seek proper treatment for things that I've had my whole life because I was raised in a family that did not believe mental illness was real. Um, and like I, as even a religious though, thing or? No, like my, it was, I don't know. My family is descended from Puritans. Uh, we're actually like offshore of a couple of like dry towns where you're just, they don't even let you bring alcohol there. Mm -hmm. Alcohol is illegal. <laughs> so like very much like um, stoicism, hard work, self-sacrifice, like sort of whether or not they're t tying it to religious beliefs because uh, my mom's super religious, my dad's not, but like they both have the sort of cultural beliefs and uh it's also about like no whining, no complaining, uh, basically no, no like asking people for help because that's a sign of weakness mm. and essentially yeah, toxic, that... toxic masculinity slash toxic to boomerism in a nutshell. It sounds yeah. very much like a very masculine kind of thing. There's like, yeah, they also don't believe in science-based medicine. So like we never went to doctors, uh, 
very rarely got anything stronger than aspirin <laughs> regardless uh luckily like me and my siblings never got like seriously injured or ill yeah. um although i do suspect at that point like my parents would have gone to the doctor but maybe it's because of all your ancestors that had gotten seriously injured or ill died instead of reproduced <laughs> so now you've got the no illness genes i mean it does it kind of works um as long as you don't mind all the death along the way yeah uh or like you're, you're unlikely to die in the 21st century right now from like you know measles or whatever mm -hmm. again if we had gotten like sick enough that we required hospitalization i'm sure my parents would call an ambulance like they're not not fanatics yeah my mom still goes to the doctor for well supposed to <laughs> she has a certain well she has a hyperthyroidism i wonder if my parents would have gotten any of us kids a blood transfusion if we needed it to live Oh, yeah. Uh, you had a whole Jehovah's Witness thing going on. Yeah. Like, from what I know of them now, I think they probably would have been like, no, fuck it, give them the, the blood transfusion. But it's weird, because when I was a kid and I really believed the stuff, I would have been like, no, I'd rather die. Don't give me the blood transfusion, you know? Which That's is horrifying. kind of... Also, you would be it, a minor kind of and you'd like, be yeah. subject to whatever they decided, though. Yeah, exactly. But it kind of um, reinforces the whole... The way you get people to convert is they don't have to actually convert... They just fake it for long enough that their children and grandchildren don't realize that they're faking it and really internalize those things. Mm, like yeah. the church plays a long game. I remember what a mind jam it was for you, what, five years ago or whatever, when you mm -hmm. learned your dad didn't believe this shit. And then like a year later, your mom said something similar. <laughs> oh yeah. And you're like, then what the fuck? <laughs> and wasn't the answer something along the lines like, well, we wanted just a it's community to fit in, in when we got here. Yeah. I was like, then pick a less crazy one. Come on, guys. Well, you, this I could mean, have been a lot easier on us. Of course, the more crazy the community, the harder mm, of a, like the, the exactly. tighter of a community it is. That's what but, I, yeah. I, yeah, I have to say, um, the new place I just moved into, there's a ton of Mormons that live there. Mm -hmm. And they just seem like the happiest, nicest people. If I didn't know... <laughs> That's my experience with Mormons, too. Same. They might be the only people that don't have depression in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> they're, I mean, again, they're, they're humans. There's variants in their population, I'm sure. But, yeah. like, they, they seem to be... You don't hear a lot about, like, Mormon aggression or, like, the Mormon, you know, war on this or whatever. No, they're, they seem just chill as fuck. And, like, even, like everyone that I've interacted with, the families are all nice. They're very welcoming. They're very, like, I, I, as far as neighbors to go, it's hard to think of better. Uh, I mean, if I, if I had to pick a, a, a religious denomination of neighbors, I think I'd pick Mormons in a hot second. It, it depends. Like, in Salt Lake City, apparently, uh, gay couples would be attacked by, like, church elders if they were on, on a park bench holding hands or something. Fair point. Let me, uh, let me caveat that and say, <laughs> uh, depending on who I was, that'd be my favorite neighbor. Obviously, yeah. yeah if you're. Depends on how much power they have. Yeah. Like, like if, any other group, when they're the minority, they're nice. When they suddenly have the power, it's like, oh, yeah, being a different religion is against the law. Yeah, I think yeah. 50 years ago, We're black people weren't... how many opacas you can have. Right. <laughs> black people weren't human, weren't recognized as human by the Mormon church until like 1974 or 76 or some bullshit. Yikes. They had wow, a, they had a new They had a new revelation. Okay. That, oh yeah, it looks like, looks like black people are, are human after all. Okay. Not, 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 not just like inferior human, like every other brand of racist asshole, but yeah. like literally non-human. Okay. And it's like, okay, yeah, so don't get wrong, you know, there, there's the magic underwear and the craziness involved, but as far as just polite neighbors, I don't know. Maybe I'm yeah. being too general, but... Well, I, I was saying, yeah, like, specifically from the outside, if I didn't know what a Mormon was, and I was just like, man, there's all these very well-dressed young white gentlemen here offering to help me carry groceries and saying hello mm. and seeming just very, like, wholesome and playing ping-pong together and being like, hey, come play ping-pong with us. And I'm like... Literally every Mormon I've met in real life has been great. But yeah. again, I've only met them in, in context outside of Salt Lake City where they were not. 
the, the, the ruling majority. Sorry. The reference to the alpaca thing is that when Phoenix and I went on a road trip, one time we stayed at an Airbnb that was also an alpaca farm, and we found out the family was a bunch of former Mormons who got in trouble with the local Mormon government because they were there was some power struggle going on between the two different sects, and the one decided to punish like this group by trying to limit how many alpacas they could have and they like that was like the straw that broke the alpacas back haha that's awesome so they like rallied together all their friends and overthrew the government (laughs) so they could have as many alpacas as they wanted that's how shit gets in the bible it's like do not mix uh, clothes of two different uh, fabric types because those assholes over there were trying to grab power so you know what it's part of our religion now i love it um like i feel like one of the things that helped me confront uh mental health issues in my own life is like the the writer wrote about you know the sense of isolation and like if you feel like you're the only one with these problems it's really easy to like think that there's not an avenue towards resolution and like that that's why i'm a big fan of just being open about it Mm -hmm. and you know talking with people about you know there's a difference between like just shoving it in people's faces but like not hiding it um you know if anyone asks me I'm, i'm very forthcoming about it um yeah, there's a lot of stigma against mental illness. Uh, less and less now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Certainly our parents' generation, you know, the ones who didn't believe mental health was a thing, right. they, they're, they, they shouldn't... We don't, we don't want the participation in this conversation anyway, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, my, my peers anyway um, seem to be more willing to talk about it. And Yeah, you like, work with like a bunch of programmers that are your age though, right? Oh, I didn't or mean my, my co-workers. I meant my, my oh, peers. Yeah, like my, my Well, in my... my age group community etc um like and, and, and i have a pretty small monkey spheres so maybe that's part of it but um in any case like i think uh I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like actually just deliver something like actionable that is generalizable to just about everybody and the main thing is that like if especially if it's depression it's so easy for you to like especially when you've had it for years i've, I've been clinically depressed for something like a decade mm-hmm. um and when it first set in, I'm like, this fucking sucks. I need to fix this. Tried some medication, didn't really work. Um, it also set in around the same time as my chronic pain. So I'm assuming there's some really, you know, causal arrow there. Yeah. Um, your issues are in your tissues. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> Just it, remember it, that. God, I was trying to remember that all day yesterday. Like, that's hilarious. Uh, it, it's a good line. I mean, I, I assume the fact that like, oh, suddenly now I'm physically limited and, you know, tired all the time. That probably pay, played a big role. Yeah. But uh, like... You know, I tried something for, I tried uh, antidepressants for a year. It didn't really work. So I went off it and then I was like, oh, I'll just try and muscle through it. And then it wasn't until this year in January where I'm like, you know what, let's fuck, you know, let's just get back in there, start talking to people. And I went to a psychologist who I didn't like. And so that's going to be another thing about like seeking treatment. If you're not vibing with your, with your therapist, like get a different one. Yeah. Shop around to start with too. And I, I think for, even for me knowing this, it still felt a little awkward breaking up with the guy saying, you know, I, I don't think this is working out. I'm going to uh, look for another protect- practitioner because yeah. they, they have a different like billing code for like last visit. So you like, you kind of want to tell them it's your last visit because they'll ask you. Um, and it feels like you're dumping them and it's like, <laughs> it's not you, it's me. But like yeah. the thing is, it's their job. They get it. And if they, if they're good at their job, they'll say, you know what? I think I know somebody who will work better for you and they'll point you in the right direction. Um, the guy I was seeing was not a cognitive behavioral therapist. He was just a sounding board. And the way I, you know, and I, I, like I was therapy, right? Yeah. And like, I, I told him very politely, I was like, you know, I haven't had a conversation in here that I haven't had by myself already. Like I want, I want this to be something where I'm gaining something from it. I, you know, again, this is, this is all conversations I've had either with my friends or by myself. And like, I need, I need 
like steps i needed advice or whatever um are you on antidepressants right now i am okay. yeah i started at the beginning of august uh i actually just went to my primary care physician telling him like this is what i want and uh, and it helps a little bit right yeah okay. I'm, yeah i want to get to that too but um if you know it's it's probably better to do a combination of therapy and drugs if you're going to do yeah. uh, them. But right now, I guess virtual therapy would be an option. But I, you know, whatever, I'll get around to that. But yeah, I'm like, doing virtual. Uh, actually, doing internal family systems therapy with a psychologist that I just see on Zoom or one of those things. It's a like medical HIPAA compliant Zoom. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's an option. I think. Um, I've been, I've been on antidepressants for more of my life than I haven't. Like the first 15 years, no antidepressants, the next 25 years on antidepressants. And, uh, so I, I'm definitely a proponent of they help. They, they take the edge off and they make other progress possible, but also like you can't just do antidepressants because that does nothing. Uh, you need other things in combination because I mean, humans aren't just the brain chemicals. Like, yeah, you need the brain chemicals to work, but if you're still like not doing anything with your life or not getting socialization or something, then it's it's you're still gonna be feeling bad all the time, even with antidepressants. They're just gonna correct some basic biological issues without all the other stuff that needs to be fixed. Yeah, and they're not even necessarily correcting some biological issues. Our understanding of mental illness is shifting quite rapidly. Um, so like, I'm actually undergoing neurofeedback where they will target specific areas of the brain and apply current to them and do an exercise where there's a reward signal sent when you are able to bring your brain waves in line with what the healthy pattern is or the one they're trying to encourage. They're able to tackle multiple issues. They're working on ADD, anxiety, and sleep by targeting like the thalamus, uh, the other parts of the brain that I can't currently remember. <laughs> it's, it's a process. Um, but I can see it working. Uh, and I could also see the brain maps that they scanned. Uh, I, we went over them. I went over them with the technician. And it's just, uh, in a way, it was very affirmatory. Um, just to see, like, okay, like, so here's your brain's attention center. And mm -hmm. uh, you see the big orange dot right there? That's a deficiency. So here's the, like, typical ADD pattern. And it's like, look, see, I can overlay them. They're almost identical. I'm just like, yeah. Cool. Okay. So that's not just me like being lazy. I had such a like inability to admit to myself that I had ADD too. And I don't know where that came from. Probably it was just like the upbringing thing that I just absorbed. But like part of it was just that I know I already have anxiety and depression and OCD and now like transgender stuff going on. I'm like, I can't have another thing on top of that. That's like, I, I'm not that much of a special snowflake or something like that. I was like, it's also like pretty clear that my dad has undiagnosed ADD and I was, and I like most, I'm sort of like a mini version of my dad. I seem to have gotten a lot of my dad's side genes and like, All right, that's too many flaws. Where's the bonuses that I get to compensate? Well, I do have bonuses. Uh, apparently oh, I, my high beta is good. Well, it's actually funny the the part of my brain that controls drive, motivation, vision, etc. Like the ones that like oh yeah, a lot of like artists and entrepreneurs and stuff have like this. Uh, well, it's actually a low beta, and but like they're like but then you've got all this blockage here in the part of the brain that actually like so the executive function part of the brain's all mm -hmm. fucked up. <laughs> so I'm like oh okay that like accounts for a lot of my like I have lots of highfalutin goals and drive and wanting to do this that and the other thing and then i crap out halfway through wow. <laughs> all the time so <laughs> like yeah this this explains basically all my issues it's right there it's in, it's in the brain maps before i interrupted you to do the quick digression on uh anti 
uh, depressants. You you're in. Are you in therapy again right now? Uh, no, no. Because okay. um, I've I've done therapy multiple times throughout my life, and like a couple times it helped me to make a big decision that I was reluctant to make. But in general, I've never found it to be very helpful. So I've just kind of stopped even trying. Is that a bad idea? Like, was I just doing it wrong? How how does therapy work so it is good? I'm not an expert on that. I think. I mean, part of it is like you want to find somebody who can. In in my, it's people want different things. Like talk therapy is a thing where just where somebody needs somebody to just vent to untangle to. their brain. Also. Exactly. Like a lot of people just don't even know that the way that they're thinking and behaving is pathological, or yeah. they're unwilling to admit it. And mm. like some people just need someone just to talk to, or just you know somebody who won't tell their friends or their family or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, what I want is like actionable steps. And so the reason I'm not in therapy now is partly because the world is on pause, but also like I have already a lot of the techniques that I would want to learn from a therapist anyway, basically the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques where, I mean, and that's, that's again where meditation comes in as well. Like just being aware when my mind is spiraling and like most people, I mean, this is just the high level thing of mindfulness, but most people go most of their day, not realizing their brain is running through thoughts all day. And you know, once in a while, you'd be like, oh, I've been thinking about that for a long time. Or somebody will point out, be like, you seem anxious. And you're like, oh, yeah, I've been anxious all day because I've been thinking about this. But for the most part, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, I think it was something that I had like an early aptitude for because I had to be physically mindful of my body since I was like 14, 13. I don't know, whenever I hurt my hurt my neck when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so like, I needed to make sure that I wasn't like in a good posture. So I'd be kind of doing like constant mindfulness check-ins of my body. Um, and it's just another step there to check in how your brain's doing. And so like I went through like a very mild trauma in like August and I, my mind like continues to race on those thoughts most like several times a day. And it, it's nice just to catch those thoughts and like, Oh yeah, you're doing that thing again. Just think about something else. Um, or, you know, do you want to finish that thought and then get it out? Cause sometimes just like grabbing the wheel and shoving it doesn't quite work, but saying, all right, last you get your 90 more seconds, then you're done with this. Um, yeah. Do people, I think people's approaches are different and that's not very like actionable, but, um, like, so the, when I wanted to do medication, this was first week of August, I think. Um, and basically I had just contacted my primary care physician and I asked if I could just do it over the phone and they were like, no, you need to come in. I'm like, are you sure? Because this is something that, you know, I've got a, uh, pulse oximeter and a blood pressure cuff here and a scale mm-hmm. for all my vitals that you guys are <laughs> going to take. I can give you those over the phone too. But I did end up going in and uh, said, look, I want Adderall or I want Wellbutrin. I know both make me feel more awake. And that's mainly my, my main complaint. I resolved the, uh, oh, I, I ameliorated the, uh, the, my poor ability to sleep like a year ago. So I'm sleeping better, but I'm still fucking tired all the time. So I want to kind of attack this from the other side. And, um, well, butrin is, uh, first of all, it works cause I'm depressed, but also, um, like it's, or rather it, it's an S D R I selective dopamine N serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Yeah. It's dopamine one, but the main feedback I'd heard from people who had it is that it makes you feel more energized. And so far that's been the case for me. It, it sort of does by backdoor routes, what Adderall does directly. Perfect. Adderall adds more dopamine to your system. Wellbutrin prevents you from reuptaking the dopamine you're already making. Great. Yeah, I mean, it works for me. I mean, uh, you did mention the sleep thing just now. I guess, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but I get it, it, since this is on topic, it'd probably be good to hit real quick, like the very low-hanging fruit, um, oh, yeah. get plenty of sleep, like 
get your sleep schedule on track. That is a big thing for mental illness. And uh, get some exercise. Like Yeah, exercise, are... diet, meditation, sleep. We were just talking uh, about how like dogs need their exercise. They need a job if they're the right breed. I mean, humans are also of the mammal breed, and we need some exercise, which a lot of us don't get in the modern day because our jobs consist of us sitting at desks. And it's hard, you know, as far as like why I felt like this was a, a, a topic I wanted to hit so immediately was because there's a super pertinent, you know, I can't even, I used to go for walks at lunch and I can't even do that now because the air is complete dog shit. Yeah. Right now, there's a hint of blue sky, but it's the second time I've seen blue sky this week. Yeah. Um, like I, it, my throat's been, you know, you wake up to, you know, scratchy throat, water, you know, itchy eyes and stuff because there's smoke in the air constantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a very local, well, a mostly local issue, but like... California's got it too. That's yeah. why Phoenix moved here originally because the <laughs> smoke was too bad and now they're just like... Phoenix so like, brought great. the smoke here. <laughs> well, Son of a bitch. They're burning giant hawk thing. Mm. But it just it just seemed like even now I can't even do like the, the exercise stuff that I like to do. Like just the light cardio of just being out and enjoying the sun, walking around. Yeah. But like, like I said, I think the main thing it, for me... And this this only happens when in my experience and from people I've talked to when you've been in it for for long enough when you've been in a depressive state for long enough where it stops feeling like a state and it just feels like the way the world is right yeah and you're like well there's nothing there to fix this is just me I finally just you know come to my senses this is how reality is mm. it's not um, I I'm lucky that my depression didn't set until I was like 20 because I I am able to remember not always feeling like this and. I want to argue with you about that a little bit at some point. Let's do it. Well, I mean, when you say it's not like this, I know... um, Unless you don't feel like it's appropriate to do it right now. No, okay, so it, it... Someone mentioned recently that they had, uh, like, a a psychedelic trip, and afterwards they kind of felt, like, um, sort of down about it because the after effects were, like, things seemed to have lost meaning, like, nothing's really all that important. And I was like, that's... Isn't that just normal? I mean, (laughs) that, that eventually you just have to come to grips with the fact that nothing means anything and we're all going to die. And, and you said that's like not normal, but I think, isn't, I think, isn't that just deluding yourself? And the, the practice of becoming human is realizing that none of this matters, but we go on anyway, because there's good stuff too. And that's, you're that's talking worth specifically it. about meaning, which I don't think is the same as things like depression. Uh, you don't think, I think they're related. Like, no, they're just like types of depression that are just for example i get anhedonic depression Hmm. where i just lose any motivation to do things even that i love that i have interest in like that's my style too i in this my this is going to be of course because with steven everything always goes back to the marvel cinematic universe (laughs) um when endgame came out i was nonplussed Hmm. like i was i i I, sh- I was stoked for months leading up to it. Then, like in the couple oh, months yeah. before that, I'm like, yeah, I'll see it when it comes out. And like, I it this, this it sounds it sounds like, like a stupid something's thing. Something's wrong, right? Yeah, sort of feedback. And it, it sounds like a stupid thing because it's a movie. But like, this is this was a you know part of an experience I've been enjoying for the last decade and been hyped about. And then I'm like, you know, not excited about something I should be excited about. I'm like, wait a minute, I should be happy and excited about this. And like, really making myself like have to and again it doesn't it, it wasn't just about the movie but it was me realizing like oh yeah i haven't played video games in a year i haven't like you know i i i don't enjoy uh like the parts of my job i used to enjoy like all the things it was kind of just like yeah, you what don't have I, a, a looking forward to a thing feeling anymore well i think or even enjoy yeah exactly or enjoying it when you're doing it i am strongly of the opinion that humans do have to feel like they're doing something that matters and uh and not having that leads to 
Great Depression. Like Some people you can do. be on antidepressants, but if you're just like kind of playing video games all the time and not doing anything else, you still get super depressed. And like one of the best times in my life was when I was doing the uh, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality audiobook because I felt like I was doing something and contributing something to the world and other people appreciated it. And now one of the things that keeps me going is like having these other two podcasts because they feel somewhat meaningful, but it's I mean, if you don't have some kind of project that you're doing or that you think your actual day job is contributing to human welfare, it's really hard to not be depressed. So I, I think, think you're typical minded. I was just Am going I? to say those exact Shit. words. Okay. Um, uh, although I can completely relate because I have the same thing, but that's that's from my upbringing. Yeah, and, and to be clear, that might be it might be typical among 70% of people or something. Mm. But, like, I can be happy. Like, yesterday, I played God of War for, like, five hours, and I had a great day. Yeah, no, like, I mean... There's... And so, you know, like... But the other thing, too, about being productive and having that add to happiness, one of the things I was talking to my therapist about was, like, you know, he's like, well, what, what have you done that you've accomplished lately? I'm like, well, I helped overthrow my old HOA board, and we're turning the community around, high five, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, it, but, like... You know, and then, you know, I've, I've got these two podcasts, you know, it's like, so what'd you do this week? I'm like, well, I recorded this one. Oh, well, how many, you know, that podcast, how many listeners? And, oh, you've got two of those. Well, you, you must be, you must be feeling pretty accomplished about that. And I was like, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I feel nothing about it. Like I, yes, I suppose if I were telling my younger self about like, Hey, these are the things you'll be I doing. I to think about like, like I might, my younger self might be like, Oh, that's cool. I used but to now think that I, I wouldn't have... be able to like drive a car or have a job. Like I was just like, how do people do these things? I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to handle all that. <laughs> I think if I went back and told my past self all the shit I've done and I'm currently doing, I'd be like, wow, I'd grow up really cool. But in my like current state, I'm kind of like, man, I'm not doing anything. Not living up to my potential. <laughs> I, I told you about my, my theory of the, uh, what the, Causes the hedonic treadmill, right? I I don't remember this. Let's go over it again, but I wanted to finish my thought on the... um, Like, my my issue wasn't that I... Like, well, I guess what I was getting at is that doing things might be part of the solution, but it's not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I was doing stuff, and I just wasn't feeling anything. Hmm. And, like, I'm not you know, hundred percent better, but I have noticed an improvement. I'm on a low dose of Wellbutrin and it's helping. Yeah. Um, You know why that is? Uh, Dopamine is actually the reward chemical. Yeah. So if you're low in dopamine, regardless of what you're doing, your brain's anticipating getting a reward signal for having done it. When you keep not getting it, then your brain downregulates your desire to do that thing. Yeah. And that, that's part of why I selected it too, why I wanted the dopamine one rather than the serotonin one. Yeah. Um, like, Maybe we should it, change the dopamine. Uh, experiment talk to your doctor. for sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, obviously with like medical supervision, but yeah. a lot of people have been on just whatever SSRI or whatever they got prescribed. There's a lot of newer ones. Um, there's a lot of other types of drugs that aren't SSRIs. Um, Modafinil treats a lot of people's depression. Um, It's a wakefulness agent, but the thing is that it elevates orexin and histamine. Just having sometimes that boost of extra energy is what people need to like get up and start doing things. And then once they start doing things, the feedback loop kickstarts itself. Doesn't the histamine also give you more allergic reaction type stuff though? Uh, Histamine, just it's a neurotransmitter like uh, serotonin or dopamine. There's actually... Like, there's a bunch of different serotonins. Serotonin is responsible for nausea. That's why uh, when you take on Dancitron, it's blocking... What is it? It's blocking one of the serotonin receptors, um, HT3, I think. Hmm. So, like, I actually am a little bit um, frustrated at the neurotransmitter model of various mental illnesses because there's a lot more going on than just neurotransmitters. And we don't even, like, have a proper understanding of what they do again like dopamine the reward chemical but like people think of dopamine as being like the happiness chemical and serotonin is like the calmness chemical Mm. and no (laughs) histamine can give you an allergic reaction can calm it down can make you awake 
can regulate your sleep. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> pet peeve um, tangent. I, I hear you. I was going to say, too, about just like the, um, you know, meaning and mattering, like a lot of the words you're using about happiness. I think, I mean, that actually might be where some of the happiness hypothesis that book I was mentioning comes in. Like, I think he pulls every chapter from like, quote, ancient wisdom. You know, like Boethius wrote his uh, meditations the day before he was executed. Oh. And I think that's in the book. Okay. Um, he was laying and he was sitting in prison and he, I, I'm, I, who knows how much this is, you know, uh, allegorical or not but like it is possible i think in principle for a human mind to be happy even knowing that you're going to die in two hours or um now i don't know if that would be possible for my human mind but like it's By allegorical did you mean not necessarily literally true yeah i think you might have meant to use apocryphal thank you yes yeah. um thank you see yeah appreciate <laughs> it how dare you correct me <laughs> fuck you um no, uh I, I knew when i said it it didn't sound right i think that's why i said the word slowly um yeah, so, but it might be true, I have no idea. But the point is, like, uh, it. I think it's tough because, like, it. I don't want to, like, just push past the meaning and mattering and saying you're asking the wrong question, but it might not be the most useful framing because, like, if you're saying, oh, well, I need to have a meaningful impact on the future light cone of the entire universe, it's like, well, then good fucking luck. So, like, if that's your goal manage your expectations a little better but also that's just, why i need to live forever it's very hard to impact the future light cone when you're not around For you can't not impact the future that's like, true just by existing you're changing things and, but um uh sorry go on steven uh, uh, no sorry i was just gonna say like for, for what i do like what actually like helps make me happy is like making other people happy not to the point where i'm making myself miserable that's the lesson i learned you know a decade ago <laughs> oh, where you're stretching yourself too thin i'm still but, working on that one i'm you know, the like worst people pleaser. <laughs> I, I I'm not much of a people pleaser. More of like I just try to like, you know, like, uh, like you give all your spoons away. Well, no, not even that. That that that's that that's the that's the bad part. Like, you know, um, pass a downed car on the highway, and it's like, oh yeah, you need to push the gas station. I'll get out and help you push. Like oh. little things. You know, if I'm not, you know, if I say if I'm in a rush or something and I can't, but like that's the sort of thing where like if someone did that for me, it makes a big difference. Okay. And it's like I know that you know, the, the little things I do, I try to make that I try to do for people that those experiences hopefully impact them in a positive way for the rest of their lives. And that makes the world literally a better place. Um, grant granted on a smaller scale that doesn't necessarily impact the cosmos at large, but like it, that, that is the scope of my ambition for now is just to like, try and make the, the world I interact with better. Um, but I do, I do see where you're coming from with the, the larger existential question, nihilist, you know, uh, uh, the, the crushing hammer of, of nihilism looming above you. But <laughs> what, what were we going to say about hedonic treadmill? Um, we got derailed. Oh, sorry. Right. Uh, that someone once said that uh, happiness is what it feels like from the inside. Uh, the algorithm updating to, uh, I expect a greater reproductive uh, outcome in the future. <laughs> like this will help my, my reproductive chances uh, going forward, at least in the ancestral environment. Right? Someone does not understand happiness. <laughs> I don't know. Like every single time I've done something to be happy, like when I look back on it, I'm like, in the ancestral environment, this would have either brought me more resources or more status or just more lovers. So I guess all these things do technically increase my uh, my potential for reproductive success. And and uh, since it's an actual predicted increase in reproductive success, that means eventually you're at the level of reproductive success you've reached. And so you drop back to normal. To be happy, you need a predicted increase in success, in reproductive success. Yeah. So you always need to chase more to get can the I, happy uh, feeling. But I don't know if any of that is true. It's just my own little bullshit thing. Can I say something about that? Yes, please. The, there's a phenomenon where 
if you um, survey people in developed countries versus like what they used to call the third world um, and people living in hunter-gatherer tribes, uh, people are much more depressed and much more um, undergoing like different kinds of psychosis. There's, you know, more anxiety, depression, uh, mania, so forth and so on, gambling addiction in developed countries hmm. um, with the more connectivity as well. So like... You're correct. I mean, we did evolve to live in small, like, familial groups or small tribes. Yeah. It, it was... Where the things you did mattered. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't... Um, that Like, strangers weren't really a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sort of know everyone's status in the tribe. And, yeah, exactly. Like, you, you contribute because you had to. And if you did, then you were doing your job and you're a good human. You know, kind of like the dog needing a job. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, humans also have this feeling of needing a job. Um the job, quote unquote, you know, in parentheses, doesn't have to right. be be literal working yeah. for the man. Yeah. But like, it feels like you do need to do something, f- maybe for others. I mean, specifically, I think you would get like a big reward signal from doing things for others because mm-hmm. you're advancing the goals of the tribe, and that would increase everybody's like survival and reproduction so that- uh, resource rates. Yeah. So a lot of people are now able to compare their lives to everyone's lives on Instagram Hmm. where everyone's lying about how happy they are and everything anyway. But like, yeah, we're like bombarded with visions in the media of perfect bodies and, you know, like unrealistic, unachievable, uh, perfect lives. So it's like, literally there's, there's unachievable goals that are sort of being presented as the norm or the thing everyone's trying to achieve. So yeah, that's a recipe for misery. But there's also just so much more like feeling of not belonging that people have. You don't have a tribe. Um, do your actions matter to like the world at large? No, it doesn't feel like it. So that is really isolating. And we're like uniquely bad at dealing with that. Hunter-gatherers, even if... um, Well, not even hunter-gatherers. Let's talk about like agrarian societies. They live kind of miserable lives comparatively. Um, if you think about just like, you know, back-breaking labor from dawn till dusk, eating simple foods, having shitty clothes not having like really any sources of entertainment, but a lot of people in those societies are, they suffer from mental health much less, mm-hmm. uh, m- mental illness rather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have much better mental health because they're just living in more closely to the environment that they evolved to be in. Yeah. So part I of, s- I think the issue here is just going to be like some kind of brain hacking. <laughs> I, well, right now, until we can hack brains, I think one of those other low hanging fruit that everyone needs to grab is to see some other humans regularly like have them be the same humans and i mean ideally see other humans in person at least once a week for a few hours which i know is harder now with covid but i think there's some level of health mental health that you just absolutely requires that and like we we meet up for this podcast in person now when we can and i think that helps a lot we have our monthly less wrong meetups that we started up again outside and that helps a lot like i just think we we're social we have to have some social interaction or we start going crazy like like the dog that's never let outside. Yeah, and I, I'm fortunate to have, uh, you know, a cohabitator that I love living with. Um, I have a coworker who actually I have two, but I only mainly talk with one because we have opportunities to collaborate once in a while. And it could be a ten minute collaboration, but we'll usually stretch it out like just the time we're on the on the call together for like an hour. Mm-hmm. And that's mainly uh, because I'm mindful of the fact that he lives alone and he's probably going insane. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know what? Hey, let's chat. Let's talk. Let's hang out. Like, what are you working on? What are you doing? And you know, it helps that we have a lot in common and stuff to talk about. Yeah. But like, as long as, far as like the work specific stuff, we can knock out in a few minutes, but then we'll just stay on and chat while we're both doing something separate. Um, and yeah, I mean, right now 
it's this is not a good atmosphere for mental health, uh, you know, flourishing, but it's never a bad time to think about it and what steps you should take to try and make things better. Um, I, I thought I had a thought on like the hedonic treadmill or something other than like, I, that's not how I experience happiness. I think, um, I mean, it could be, you know, if I, if I feel happy when I do something nice for somebody that to my apish hindbrain could be like, aha, you've curried favor among your tribe and you're seen as somebody who is, uh, valuable to the community. Therefore you'll get laid. Well done lizard brain. <laughs> um, but like that, I mean, that's the thing. It, it's like our art. Now Wes would be making fun of us for Evo Psych. <laughs> right. Um, and like. I'll fight Wes about Evo Psych any day. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those funny things. Like we're, we're not, we're, our brains are shaped by evolution, but our, our, our modern minds aren't even aware of it. Like otherwise, I think this, this sounds like a Steven Pinker quote where it's like, otherwise the most uh, fulfilling activity any man could do would be donating sperm to a sperm bank. Right, right. And it's like, since most of us never do that, yeah. Like, we're clearly not driven by our evolutionary impulses in a way that actually increases our fitness. Well, there were no sperm banks in the ever, in the ancestral environment. Right. Otherwise, but, maybe that'd be all we're doing. But now, intellectually, we know that, like, hey, I could sire offspring that I don't have to take care of. You know, where do I sign up? But mm. none of us really give a shit about that, right? No, not even um, Yeah, your brain doesn't actually track the, like, you know, that that's the whole, like, we're reproductive fitness maximizers, but there's all these, like... We're adaptation executioners, not yeah. fitness yeah. maximizers, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you can sit there and eat, like, four candy bars, and the stupid reptile brain's like, yeah, all those cheap, easy calories, man, we're gonna have so many babies. <laughs> like, and, and, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> obviously, there's parts of our brains that are unsuited for the modern world. I had one more thing, and this might dive us into uh, CBT a bit, because I want to talk about that for sure. Um, the uh, Our Swedish friend wrote in and said, um, well, I, well, I'll read the whole thing. It says, I'm a pathological liar, both to myself and closest friends, promiser and under-deliverer, permanent procrastinator. Um, I don't know what much to say about that, uh, but I wanted to dive into the next sentence. It just didn't make sense of the previous one. Mm. I don't know how to handle it and it mostly feels like i don't even have the energy to start that is the one i identify with a lot and i think that that's the the sentiment behind a lot of like just getting the ball rolling on tackling mental health stuff what was funny and i might have mentioned this on the air before um when i made the appointment my first appointment with a psychologist in january he called a few days in advance and he was like hey do you still plan to keep your appointment on thursday or whatever and I was like, yes, that's why I made it. I would have called to cancel if I didn't. And I was just confused that he would, you know, even check. Like, otherwise, people just do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they just show up or they charge you a non-showing up fee. And then he's like, okay, cool. I'll see you then. And then when I had a couple of days to think about it, I came in and I was like, you called to ask. Because I imagine a lot of people say yes when, or say no when you call and ask that, right? And he's like, yeah, exactly. Hmm. I think because for some people, when you decide to take charge that is almost un- like that for some people that is the shove they need just to actually start taking charge they don't need they, they, might, they might need to do some more stuff on top of it but that decision to take char- to take ownership of it i think actually helps a lot of people just it's such a positive by itself. hypothesis uh i think often people just who you know suffer from depression and have executive function things and just don't show up to their appointments Fuck. and doctor's offices are or well psychiatrists and etc are booked really tight um, I know my neurofeedback place, if I'm like five minutes late, then they have to put the next person in and reschedule me for another day. Oh. Yeah, you're probably right. It's probably more of the sad interpretation. I was thinking... 
I just that kind of thing probably does also happen though. Yeah, I maybe I, maybe I am just still too rosy about stuff. But you know what? If that keeps me happier, I'll I, I like to the point where optimism. I'm not as long as I'm not violating reality and and you know distrusting the truth. I'm going to stick with my optimism until proven otherwise. CBT actually like forcing your brain to start having an optimistic pattern instead of a pessimistic one. Right. So let's let's talk a bit about that. And I think, like I said, I think you know a lot more about this than I do. Um, I want to talk about CBT at some length as much as you want, but I think. In correct me if I'm wrong. In broad strokes, it the the approach of it, and you can go to Wikipedia and look at like psychotherapy or something. And it'll show you the the seven modern approaches, the fifteen you know historical approaches or something. Um, I think most of those were just made up by one or two people, you know, 150, 100 years ago, or whatever. And it's like those were in the wee early days of the of the field where no one knew what the fuck they were doing. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy to me is like Okay, let's let's identify what thought patterns are going on in your head, and which ones are healthy, which ones are productive, and which ones are like actually accurate, and teach you to be perceptive of them, and how to address the quote the bad thoughts when they come up. Like a lot of people will catastrophize about something, like oh my god, if this happens, then I'm, I'm gonna uh, everything's I'll gonna lose be terrible, my job and then uh, my partner will break up with me, and I'll just be a homeless bum on the street, and then I'll die in a trash can. Right, and, and the, a cat these will pee in my head, <laughs> and, and, and these these spiraling thoughts that catch you all the way, like catastrophizing turns out to like almost never pan out in the way that things actually happen. Like you lose your job and you get another one mm-hmm. is how you know life often works. Um, Pretty so much every time, yeah. Um, so like, it's it's just one of those things where I mean, catastrophizing is one example, like black and white thinking, like oh, it wasn't perfect, it was bad, and like not just being able to enjoy the part you liked. There's or something, a whole right? long list of um, cognitive distortions. Let's let's take the wheel. Yeah, gestures to Jace because no one can <laughs> see that. So one thing I do want to point out is that there's a lot of different forms of psychotherapy that are science based and have been developed for a long time and have efficacy for different. Um, purposes like right now I'm doing internal family systems um, that's the one where you have like Harry has all those different houses yeah, in his head everyone has different parts of their brain that like how does that work I mean how, how has it been working for you I guess is what I meant is it oh, effective? really well um, because I have a lot of sort of different brain parts that have formed in isolation or like in opposition to one another and sort of it's like play acting these parts talking to each other or just like talk having the therapist talk to a part analyzing like okay what like caused this to uh realize i'm talking about ifs and not (laughs) cbt so um either way whatever works that's that's what i care about i'll talk about ifs some other time um i really like the concept behind ifs i just feel like i would feel silly trying to do it um you probably won't i mean you're a writer so you already are used to kind of thinking about characters you've never it's sort of like you're writing a story characters yeah but these are characters too i mean there's an extent to which you're like okay this is just me this is just the part of me that lectures myself when i like eat sugary things you've never done that thing where like not to sound insane but like where in methods of rationality harry like bifurcates himself into parts and lets them argue it out this is is literally how brains work i love reading those sorts of things and that's among my favorite fiction where people do that or just you know due to science fiction reasons actually have multiple people in their head like face yes yes oh i love that stuff point out crystal society yeah but no i've never actually done that in my real life it might be worth trying next time you feel anxious about something i don't know if i can and and so you you know (laughs) well i i don't know exactly how to tell people to get started with it but for like for me especially when something is very stressful 
part of me is able to do my regular life, you know, mm. make breakfast, do dishes, etc. Mm. While part of me is screaming in my head. Mm. And so like just spending five minutes or, or more, but like just actually sitting down and kind of separating my brain out into different versions of myself and letting that one just like say what it needs to say. And the rest of me like visualizes listening and looking at that person at that version of of see it sounds like i'm it it sounds it sounds hokey um don't get me wrong but uh like oh well it sounds even hokier when i I say that i do this this is actually scientifically how brains work you can take parts of the brain like physically and separate them from the other parts and the person will like speak from the different parts individually no i i totally it sounds this. crazier when i say i do it in the council room at high Harothgar from skyrim <laughs> um, no like matt has uh, that sounds excellent matt freeman has like talked about this a number of times and like it is super convincing and it's how i try to model other humans as having various competing drives in them uh, and I know that I also work that way, but like I've gotten so really good at being like, no, there's just this one unified me that it's 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 like a foundational myth of my inner society now. And if I were to deny that, who knows what could happen? There'd be chaos, dogs and cats sleeping together in my brain. <laughs> Can't have that. Um, the dog part of me says woof. The cat part. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 dive into that at some point. Yeah, but CBT, I don't want to get though. Yeah. Um, I actually almost want to say that. IFS is like sort of more advanced. CBT was where I got started and had like the most success with because it does really feel it feels very rationalist. Um, you do have a list of thought distortions. It's like the I don't know the twenty most common thought distortions. Those are catastrophization, the black and white thinking, blaming, uh, magnifying negatives, yeah, minimizing positives, which is the opposite of that, yeah, um, overgeneralizing that sort of stuff. And so like. What you do is you realize, I don't know, like you're, you're ruminating about something. Say it's, uh, you're worried you're going to lose your job, since we talked about that one earlier. And then there's sort of a a grid um, where you go, okay, like you sit down and you're like, all right, what um, thought distortions are going on right now? And you identify them and say it's like catastrophization is the main one there. And you're like, okay, so let's actually look at this catastrophization Um what do you think is going to happen? And then sometimes like often it got to the point of me just like actually following the thought all the way to the end. That's why I was kind of like nodding when Steven was saying, well, sometimes you just have to get the thought out. And I'm like, well, actually, yeah. I mean, sometimes you have this sort of like ball of tension in the back of your brain that you're just trying to not look at. Every time it comes up, you try to not look at it. But then when you really look at it, you're like, okay, what do I think is going to happen? You're writing it down. You're like, well, I'm going to lose my job. My partner's going to break up with me. And then I will run out of money and I'll be a hobo living in a garbage can and a cattle pee on my shoe. And you're you like, said ahead last time. That's much worse. <laughs> I mean, like, I think just really, you know, like, then you look at it and you're like, that's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> and like, when, you, when you're actually looking at it, instead of just constantly trying to shove it away, then like, you can see, oh, that, that seems more improbable than I had been thinking. Or you can, if it doesn't seem improbable, you know, like, it seems pretty likely I'm going to lose my job. And then like, I, you know, my partner has told me that if I lose my job, they're going to break up with me. So like, but uh, you can be like, okay, well, like you count what's the likelihood that this will happen. You look back at previous times when like you've been in this sort of situation, like what happened then? Was I okay? Did I make it out of it? Okay. Um, What are my options? Like you really can dig really deep into these things, but it's actually just taking the facts of the situation and looking at them objectively. And from there you can actually like, the, the part of the technique is doing that and just like sort of calming down part of the technique is then reframing 
towards a more healthy view, like where you can say, I'm, I'm doing my best right now at my job. I'm doing all I can. If, uh, if I get fired, then like there was nothing I could have done. And probably I needed to get a job, a different job anyway, that's more suited for me. If my partner really does break up with me, then like that sucks, but oh, well, they're not supportive. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and like you sort of, that's not even like a very good example. That's sort of just a, no, that's like a realistic look of things as opposed to the catastrophic view. But then you can sometimes be, okay, um, my thought is my coworker hates me. Okay, uh, how do I know that? Well, they didn't say hi when I said hi this morning and they gave me a dirty look. And it's like, okay, uh, you look at past interactions you've had this with this coworker. They've all been neutral or positive. What are the chances that this one negative one like is happening why would they hate you like what and uh you can reframe as i'm sure they're just like having a bad day and probably we're or like you know maybe we're just completely spaced out thinking about something else that they're upset about i'm sure it has nothing to do with me and i predict that next time that i say hi they'll be like oh hi yeah sorry i was just having some bad thoughts about something so basically I, cognitive behavior therapy is a great tool yes yeah and i have a quick anecdote actually about that last one and so on at a high level like Part of the CBT thing about like reframing things, it almost sounds like lying to yourself. Be like, well, let's just look at the positive side. But while that sounds like, when especially when you say it in that tone of voice, wishy-washy and pointless, like there actually is a positive side to things. Yeah, and, and if you're predisposed to look at things negatively, then sometimes right. bumping it in the other direction is where you need to get to be to like be normal and. Yeah, D- disqualifying the positive is actually one of the like main. Uh, what were, what were we calling them? Uh, cognitive distortions, where it's like you don't get to appreciate the positive thing because it's not perfect or something, right? I think that is uh, one like, a, what was it? Rejecting the good for the perfect? Yeah. Don't, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, I think um, that's actually more of a pithy saying than a cognitive distortion, but yeah. Well, I think disqualifying the positive is on the Wikipedia page. But, yeah. Um, and it's something that I've definitely noticed. And there, man, I could actually go on at length about a tangent that's related to this. But related <laughs> to the coworker thing, I have a similar example. And this is how it pays dividends in real life. So, like, at my first job, I had a very smart coworker who loved to, like, you know, jump in and help you help you learn something and understand something. At my second job, I had a very smart coworker who never did that. And I'm like, maybe he just doesn't like me. <laughs> um, and then I, then I, so I thought about that. And I was like, well, hold on. Let's think about another explanation for this. Maybe he just doesn't like volunteering to teach something. And so the next day, I tested this empirically by asking him to show me something that he was working on. And he very enthusiastically showed me and explained what he was doing. Yeah, and it was awesome. Probably and just never occurred to him to do it. Exactly. And so, like, the, the, it's this sort of thing where it's not just, like, putting, you know, shiny bow and string on this, on the shitty reality that actually is. You might actually uncover that reality is much better than you thought it was based off your first in, first thought. And what were you going to say a minute ago, Inyash? Oh, um, I'm... Real quick, there might have also been another reason that he... I'll get back to that in a second. Another reason that he might not have wanted to jump in and explain things is, like, I personally am much less likely to explain things nowadays because of the fear of being called out for mansplaining things. <laughs> and I don't want to take this culture war stuff, but it's just like, you know... that It doesn't have to be a culture wars thing. Like, I, I could see that maybe this is a nerd who's been trying to, like, talk to his brother about, like, programming and is just like, oh, shut up, dude. Like, you're always talking about functions and whatever yeah <laughs> i've got i'm just bringing that up because i've gotten that from like my sisters or my peers growing up when i would be excited about an animal fact and they're like oh my god shut up about alligators <laughs> yeah it, it could well be that he didn't want to come off as uh condescending or something too which yeah. is which is valid but or when i expressed anxious or shy yeah but when i expressed an interest and uh 
you know, gave him an opportunity to talk about it. He was enthusiastically responsive. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's all kinds of reasons why he might not have done it. But the point is, is that the reason that he didn't, didn't appear to actually be my first thought, which was he doesn't like me. Right. Right. Okay. So I was just kind of looking over your shoulder and I wish I'd pulled up the email myself, but I saw this line near the bottom. It says he, the, the writer says like my mind is a tangled ball of yarn and I accidentally fused the ends when he's talking about like how complicated all this, these problems are. And, um, for a physicist, you're very poetic. Yeah, <laughs> which I which I really appreciate. That's also, awesome. Also, I doubt that English is his first language, and this is really yeah. Like, yeah. I'm always really impressed by. Uh, I think it was actually there's a Swedish person that I was friends with who spoke like I forget if it was six or eight languages, and I would not have known she was not a native English speaker. Right. Very impressive. The the guy who wrote um, the um, Quantum Thief is Swedish, I think. I'm very Still impressed with yeah. Oh, I've yeah. recommended that a few times. It's good. Anyways, um, so I really feel that because there's sometimes you get in these situations and like maybe it's a bad relationship and you're like, I just fucked this up so much. There is there's no way to recover from this. And brains feel very much the same way where it is so big and so complicated and so many things have gone so wrong. There's just there's you can't. It's too big. It's overwhelming. You can't fix this thing. But what I want to say is that's true. Brains are big and complicated, and you can't fix that thing. But like maybe with uh, with the help of a therapist or CBT or uh, drugs or just implementing low hanging fruit grabbing, you don't want to fix the whole ball of yarn. You're just going to pick out one little thread. You're going to pull it out. You're going to straighten out that little thread. And that's going to be your project for the month. And afterwards, you're going to have a big old complicated, messy ball of yarn with fused ends. But there's going to be this one little piece that's nice and straight. And that piece will be nice. And that's all you really want to do. That was also really poetic. Well, well, thank you. I like that. Yeah. And maybe over time, you can do another little piece in uh, some other month. And maybe at some point, you get something that is approaching some decent order that you can live with. Torturing analogies is a pastime of mine. It's like, (laughs) have you ever untangled a pair of headphones? And like, you do it one small piece at a time. And what was originally this impossibly convoluted mess, like it, and maybe this is overly ambitious to say you can straighten out your entire, you know, everything in your whole life. You never can. But you can get many of them manageable. Yeah. Where right now it's this disgusting spaghetti mess. And it's like, no, well, you start with one thing. Yeah. And like, and depending on, you know, the state of depression, like, you know, I I have a friend, uh, or a, 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 you know, I, whatever. I know, I know, I know somebody, um, you know, and like part of their, I actually don't know if, he would say he's depressed or not but i think he is like one thing he could benefit from and this is something i try to do you keep your house clean keep, oh yeah you know and this this is like the, jordan peterson i i know no, but and, it is really a big deal and, like, i know i know I, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not, you, have I'm, you seen my house like i'm, I'm ocd about i'm not i'm not a jordan peterson fan mainly because I, I he first came to my attention under like the insane religious bullshit that he was talking about on something, sam harris's podcast lobster hmm. transgender yeah i never oh. i i never anyway. i never got on board with any of that stuff but i think he, from my limited understanding of having read the synopses of some of his books on Wikipedia, he seems competent at the at the area of his actual domain, which is like psycho psychology. Yeah, um, I shouldn't have brought him up. Like, you oh no, it's fine. Well, but well, <laughs> as long as he's up, I think his sentence is like, "Clean your room," mm-hmm. and it's like you know, this is where you spend your time. Make it make it livable, make it manageable, and when it looks better, you'll feel better, and that just turns out to be the case. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think um, you like phrased it more strongly, which is like, oh, you have all these ambitious goals about how you're going to be CEO. How are you going to be CEO if your room's dirty? <laughs> I, I forget if that was him or someone paraphrasing him. I just find that anyway. I like that though. It, it almost makes sense. Like how you know, pick up your socks. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, as far as that, like the procrastination thing is real too. I have a thing where 
like my kitchen and living room are all downstairs and my bedroom and, and uh, office are upstairs. Every time I go downstairs, I bring something downstairs that needs to go downstairs, like dishes. And Every I'm, time you do upstairs, you do the same? If there's anything I need to bring. But like, I never be like, oh, I'll get it on the next trip. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, get it this time. And and it's you always go somewhere with empty hands. And it's it's a small thing, and it but it, it really it adds up. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's. I think that's the step. Is like it, it, it. There isn't going to be a fast track pass to like the end of the line. It's just every step along the way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I actually wanted to say two things. One was the the thing Aniash was talking about the the tangled ball of thread metaphor. Um. A really important thing to get a handle on is like and i'm working on this but like be kind to yourself i am the biggest dick to myself in my head uh i'm still really bad at it i've gotten a lot better at it but i used to talking about parts i used to have a part that was just in the back of my head being like you stupid asshole get up you know like lazy bastard pick that thing up come on like we gotta oh look like people are gonna laugh at you if you see that like it's just the the meanest like possible drill sergeant voice and i felt like that was a thing i needed for the longest time um in order to, because I had this mental image of myself and some of it's like from my parents and upbringing of just being like, you know, lazy teenager who can't do anything right and always fucking things up. Um, a lot of that really pushes down on your ability to cope though. Um, and if your motivation is driven by like guilt, shame, anxiety, that's not good. (laughs) Even if it does help you. Um, I was like, I did find that to be helpful. Um, a lot of people have guilt motivations that's actually why i want to like plug replacing guilt again which goes much deeper into that whole idea of having extrinsic or uh, intrinsic motivation and using that to replace guilt-driven motivation um yeah like it's rough having mental issues uh and beating yourself up about it is going to just make things worse so there, uh, the other thing i wanted to talk about was this last line about I have no idea how many stop procrastinating videos I have saved in a watch later folder. Lol. That's always the top comment. That's always the top comment on the Reddit thread about like, hey, look, there's this great TED talk on procrastination. Great. I'll watch, watch that. Later. I'll watch that yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how often I've failed with the Pomodoro technique, knowing there are solutions, and I fail even when using them sucks. If your efforts aren't working, go deeper. But where is that? Where do you begin? Um, which, to which I also want to sort of say, first of all, like. Yeah, the, there's all these like stop procrastination tools. Pomodoro's one, getting uh, getting things done. The GTD system is one. Um, I started doing the Atomic Habits system, which is a book that I recommend. But um, yeah, you can watch all these videos, you can learn all these techniques. But the thing is, you have to apply them, and applying them is hard. And applying them consistently is really hard. Mm-hmm. And everyone who does this stuff, like the people who are the most obsessed with these, like me, you know, I have a special interest in these kinds of like life hack type things, usually are people that have executive function issues. Um, that's a really common thing. Again, if you look at the Slate Star Codex polls of um, trends in the community, there's a lot more people with acrasia um, or executive function things, which probably comes from the, there being a lot more people with mental health things, which probably comes from there being a lot more people with higher IQ than average, but that's a hypothesis of mine that i'll shove into a drawer for now um i think having social support systems uh makes this much easier uh one of the reasons i signed up for the guild of servants which we had a two episodes back i think was because they do have like a social support system and a community and like i would recommend getting into something like that if possible uh i know i've said this before but 
I think the military is one of the best institutions for making functional people out of fuck-ups that there is. Because they not only like show you what you need to do, they will consistently give you a series of wins uh, throughout the, the training Per, uh, yeah. training process they like you tell you to do feedback. a thing yeah you t- tell you to do a thing they show you how to do a thing you do the thing and you're like oh my god i did a thing and yet it may be something simple like go dig a hole yeah. or whatever Tire shoes correctly right right make your bed <laughs> but but the, it's i mean we're we're machines we're biological machines and we just keep getting that feedback where we did a thing and it worked and you like realize it slowly gets hammered into your brain i can do things which will have an impact on my life and they work, and I'm good enough to do stuff. And it's really a fucking tragedy that the one institution we have that really <laughs> teaches people how to do this well also uh, teaches people how to kill other people in other countries. Because know, right? that's really fucked up that you have to make that trade-off to get that. I would like there to be an institution that does the same kind of thing and has the same sort of like boot camp, no bullshit, Dragon you have Army. to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but that doesn't also require you to risk your life to murder others. So... Yeah, I, uh, that is a, a tragedy of how that worked out because I'm ideologically opposed to doing something like joining the military. Yeah. But the other aspects of it all sound great. Yeah. It's just the the goal of it yeah. is not what I'm going for. <laughs> I right? have I can't tell you how many times I've considered like joining, you know, doing boot camp and then like dropping out and being like, yeah, thanks, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the life skills. <laughs> but like, oh, um, I was still talking about the procrastination thing uh the the the, uh, the the tools to go back to that thought for a minute and then i kind of want to go to your boot camp thing uh <laughs> the stop procrastination tools are like meant to or rather like everyone who does them does them successfully for a while and then you like crash um a funeral happens and you've got like this big project coming up and then like your sleep gets interrupted because your dog was keeping you up on it like whatever um yeah and then like you or just depression hits and you can't keep up with it and you have to just learn to forgive yourself, be kind to yourself, do self-care. That's another important thing that should be part of this whole, like, you know, the basics, the low hanging fruit, self-care, like get a massage. <laughs> the whole, the, your issues are in your tissues thing is mm-hmm. like, actually, um, I have like chronic pain in certain areas that are, it's just from stress mm-hmm. or maybe it's not just, but like, I have like neck pain and lower back pain that is from tensing my muscles because I'm anxious and being able to sit and meditate regularly and to like push down the anxiety and the tension alleviates the pain in my body. You can also sort of do it, um, you know, the other way where if you get regular massages, it eases the anxiety and tension just because the, you're relaxing those parts of your body. There's a feedback loop. Um, and that's, that's part of biofeedback, right? Is that the, Um, uh, yes. And so, that is another aspect that I think I got like a head start in from like having to manage to where I wasn't, you know, yeah. clenching muscles and something because then I'd be crippled with headaches or, you know, whatever. So, um, it, you know, it's a bummer that it, it the lesson had to come into me informally through that right. process. But on the on the plus side, like I notice when I'm clenching my jaw, I notice when I'm, you know, flexing my hands or, you know, my shoulders are tense or whatever, like because I'm not constantly but frequently doing just a quick head-to-toe check-in on my body body to see how stuff is and it turns out that like um flexing uncomfortably leads to like actual physical stress which leads to mental stress um and i think what do they call it wagging the dog's tail where like you (laughs) you can't wagging the dog yeah um so like 
exhibiting the behaviors of a happy person actually makes people happier, I think. Yeah, fake it till you make it. I mean, um, that was how I have managed to get over imposter syndrome in the different, like, I've changed careers a bunch of times in totally different fields, and I always struggled really badly with imposter syndrome, and I realized, like, what you do is you just, okay, I'm a librarian, um, this is my job, I'm doing my job as a librarian, <laughs> and, like, I'm doing the same thing as all these other people who are also librarians, and I, I, like, I'm competent, and I know what I'm doing, and if not, I can ask someone for help, or I can figure it out, <laughs> yeah. and you sort of just have a mantra. I actually had to, when I was, like, walking into the library, I would, like, there was a tap, which is a thing from, like, CFAR strategies, it's trigger action plan, but basically it's, like, when X, I will, uh, do Y. Uh, when I would get to the front step of the library, I would smile. I would, like, straighten my shoulders, smile, and then, like, walk in and try to, like, make eye contact with some of my coworkers or some of the, like, patrons of the library and smile and wave and say hi and just, like, project an air of, like, I belong here, I am happy, see you guys, and, like, we're gonna have a good day. And, like, stuff like that, it, you know, it, it does sound incredibly hokey, but... Um, but it worked. It works. I think I read a book back when I was first dealing with depression by Richard Wiseman called... Oh, I can't think of it. Um, it I think it's the only book on happiness or uh, that sort of thing that he wrote, so I could probably find the title. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, but, like, the he talked about, like, the experiment where they had people hold a pencil between their, their teeth while working on something. Oh, yeah. And then other people, like, were to hold a pen with pursed lips or something. And... At the end, they asked people how happy they were. I think, on average, the ones who held the pencil between their teeth, thus forcing a smile, po- a smile, uh, kind of facial, grimace, facial structure. But like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, but it pulled the lips back like Pulls this. Pulls your smile muscles back. Like th- they seemed to have enjoyed whatever stupid task they were doing more than the people who had to hold kind of the scowl to keep the thing in their mouth. And they're both holding things in their mouths, so like that that they controlled for that. But Did it yeah. replicate? I don't know. Okay. I think those have, because um, I remember that there's been a bunch of different studies along the same lines about, um, well, hmm, actually, you know what? I'm not going to go out on a, a limb and say that that has replicated, because I think I remember one about like power posing, not replicating. Right. That's and always the first thing I got to ask now. Whenever I see a psych study, I'm like, well, question number one. <laughs> Anecdotally, I've noticed that if I'm in a bad mood and I smile... It actually makes me. It actually perks me up. I get. I, I notice a jolt of positive feeling in my brain. Yeah. Whether or not that's psychosomatic or not, it it works. Yeah. Um, well, it's definitely psychosomatic, but I mean that's the point. Let me. Yeah. Whether or not it. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like it, a, if it's I purely placebo or not. I always guess. have this thing of like, oh, it's all in your head. <laughs> where like, when, I, this usually comes up when I'm trying to like explain my thing with my parents. Where like, it's like, oh, you don't have ADD. It's all in your head, and it's like, I mean, like, yeah, where else it would it be? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, it's in my kidneys. <laughs> We are, uh, we've been going on for a while. Was there things that you guys wanted to mention before we wrapped up? Oh, this is a really good topic. Uh, and I'm, again, like, sorry to hear about the original poster's struggles, but I'm glad to have gotten the question because I feel like it's a good time to talk about mental health. Um, and I'm sure there's more that we could get into as well. This is definitely, you could probably tell, like, a special interest of mine, and I'd go on forever about whatever details so thanks for letting me rant about my special interest and i hope some of this was helpful i i knew you'd be eager and equipped to talk about this better than me um i was eager but less equipped i think um i just wanted to say to say thank you for the the listeners for writing in about this i think reaching out and talking about it is the hardest step and then the next step is taking action and 
you know, if you want to, if you want to talk more over email or something, I'm, I'm open to it. I can't therapize for you, but I can give you the nudge to go get therapy. Um, and you know, whatever, whatever it is, uh, like the, and again, therapy might not be a magic bullet, but it's something that just talking to a professional and, and this is, I, I always equate it to like, you know, um, physical ailment, you know, if your leg is bothering you, you know, you can try to look up a YouTube tutorial on, you know, if, if, well, what do leg I do? Stretches. What, what do I do about a sore knee? Yeah. Leg stretches, etc. Um, but there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's almost nonsensical to say, I'm not going to go see a doctor about it. It's like, well, why not? Especially if you're in Sweden, you've got medical access. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, sorry, people from the U.S., but, you know, in, in a pinch, sometimes seeing a doctor in the U.S. is worth the visit. Um, but, well, I'm, I'm being tongue-in-cheek. It is. Like, it, you can try and fix it yourself, but, like, why not just get a professional opinion on it? And if they can't fix it for you on that trip, they can at least give you some nudges in the right direction, right? Yeah. Uh, more often than not, hopefully. Yeah. So I think just, just reaching out and, and seeking help is the, is the only major piece of actionable advice I can give, so... I'll take that a step further and say just take an engineer's approach. If you find a bug, throw everything at it. Like, attack it from all angles. Get a checklist, sort of... Checklists are huge. Yeah, okay. Feeling depressed. What can I do? Um, You know, therapy, medication, um, regulate your sleep better, wear, like, you know, blue blocking glasses at night, cut down on the caffeine, exercise daily. It's like, try all the things and try the things, like, in combination with each other because generally it is a combination you know of stuff that you're doing yourself like the diet exercise meditation sleep um a drug and therapy it's going to be like probably the most powerful combination until we get legalized psychedelic therapy hmm. which is <laughs> i had to throw that in there i don't want to talk about it for the entire episode but maps uh the psychedelic research institute is their studies of curing mental illnesses or making significant progress with a specialized combination of psychedelics and therapy has shown remarkable results and i'm super excited about it and i'll stick some info in the notes (laughs) but i'm not gonna just start talking about psychedelics now because that'll never end (laughs) i would like to point out that uh a lot of people say and this is true that like just taking the action is is very hard like Taking that first step is tough. Uh, and I want to point out to the uh, writer of the email that, like, they've already taken the first step. They, they've they moved into action by writing us an email. That is doing something. And, like, now just keep that momentum going and take that next step with the the movement you've already started. Oh, yeah. And I did, um, I forgot. In the beginning of the email, they had mentioned that um, they're not on the Discord but might join soon. Yeah, I'd recommend... Um if you have the time for it, uh, join the Discord, and I'm sure that like you'll find there's a lot of people with this interest. The there's people on um the sort of sister Discord, uh, the what was it Institute of Bays University of University Bays. of Bays, yeah, who talk about this stuff a lot more too. But you definitely can find people to compare notes with, or to vent to, or maybe help other people with some of their problems if you happen to have a solution. And yeah, yeah. community is great. And just have a community when you're stuck at home. Yeah, yeah, and a community of, like, rationalists, because uh, it that, was, you had mentioned, uh, I'm so tired of talking to people who don't want to get it, Yeah, which was well-phrased, and yeah, no, uh, I feel you. There's times I want to go off on things, and like I just I restrain myself from doing it on Facebook, and then I come to the Discord, and I talk with people who are actually sane, and I'm like, oh, that felt so much better. <sighs> I didn't have to go on Same a rant people. or anything. It was just a nice conversation. Although I will say... 
as nice as the Discord is, and sometimes it can be a lifesaver, it's still not quite a, a sub, a, it's not a true substitute for face-to-face physical interaction with humans. Right. And yeah. I guess, oh, so last thing, I know we're, we're kind of doing our wrap-up thing for 10 minutes, but... Um, <laughs> as we do. On, That's why on, I start them early. <laughs> on the path to progress, there will be stumbles and backsteps. That doesn't mean failure. Yeah. It just means pick yourself up and keep going. Yeah, pretty common. And, two steps forward, one step back is the pace. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but but every step back feels like, oh, this isn't working, or oh, I might, you know, might as well just give up. Um, and I'm not saying this as like, this is how you will feel, listeners. Um, I'm saying this is just how it feels from the inside in my experience and apparently what the textbooks say. Um, the, the, like, it's push past that. Um, it, it, that. That is the anticipated experience of like the, the process here. And so when there's a stumble, just say, oh, that was one of the stumbles I was told to expect. I'm going to keep going. Um, it does not mean failure. Just like, you know, like Jay said, you were saying, like people who practice uh, procrastination techniques stick to them for a while and then stop. You know, maybe they've then upped their pro- their ability to not procrastinate a bit in the time that they were practicing te- the techniques deliberately. But like tapering off or giving up on them doesn't mean necessarily failure and they're yeah, going to just revert. Failed. It just means like maybe you got to take a break for a while, do some self care. Yeah. Uh, what was it? The Dave Allen, the GTD author, actually um, has this surfing metaphor where he's like, Think of it like surfing. It's fun. You ride the wave. You crash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you fall off. You pick your board back up. You get back on. Uh, and like that falling down is part of the process as well. Uh, just try not to get stressed out by it. Awesome. Thanks for vindicating me. Like I said, I know you're the expert. So. <laughs> I don't know um, if I'm an expert, but special interaster. Yeah, that counts. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't have... I think that's about it. But any any further conversation anyone wants to have, you can... You know, hit me up on the Discord or write us in at the email at the. Uh, I always get them confused because the website and email don't match up. The email address is Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast at gmail.com, I think. That's the one, yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah, perfect. I think that's all I've got to say for now. But yeah. thanks again for writing in. I really appreciate it. And we do also have, in addition to the email and the Discord, a subreddit, which is not used nearly as much now because most people may migrate it to Discord. But every now, then, yeah. <laughs> every now and then, there is still something that shows up at the subreddit that you can check out. Or you can rate and review us on any service that you use to listen to us. Yeah. I mean, that that's not a way to get in contact with us, but it is appreciated. Right. That reminds me, one more thing, I, I as far as a quick technique that I got a lot of value of that took three minutes to read and, and implement was uh post on less wrong by friend of the show matt freeman uh more mail on less wrong matt. on spamming <laughs> micro intentions um i i it, it 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 was like a it's this bizarre little brain life hack that i got a lot of mileage out of very quickly where you're thinking about oh i gotta do this thing and then you just you think of that thought and then you just kind of ignore it or try to suppress it or like you subconsciously just but like this other thing is attracting my attention. I should think about that. Right. <laughs> your so, brain slides off it. So the idea of spamming a micro intention is just to keep telling your brain, you know, like, you know, raise your left hand and like you think the thought and then eventually you kind of just want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, but the idea of just spamming it over and over and over really quick for a few seconds is usually all it takes. And then you finally just do the thing. Um, I mean, I use this technique to finally like start doing like, I think in the in the post he gave you the example of doing push-ups. So I've been doing push-ups every night for like the last year okay. as just like a way to prove to myself to continue to prove myself that this works. And the cool <laughs> thing about it is that like once you've been spamming micro intentions for a little while, you get like this even faster track to like achieving whatever he's trying to do because 
you know at the end of spamming micro-intentions, you're going to just do the thing anyway. So as soon as the idea occurs to you to, to, to spam micro-intentions, you just skip straight to the end and start doing the thing. Yeah, I might as well get it over with. Right. I have a, an cool. addition to that, too, which I forget where I read this, but it was really useful when you're having a lot of trouble getting started on something and feeling a lot of resistance to it. Along with trying just spamming the micro-intentions, it's really helpful to ask yourself, when will I be ready to do X? And sometimes like framing it that way um, will calm my brain down because it's like, I think there's usually the, oh my God, I don't want to stop whatever I'm doing right now. Or, I don't want to do this right now. There's this like anxiety about, but like you could be like, okay, in 10 minutes, um, I'll go get a shower. Cool. And then you can stop having the like repetitive thought uh, or like the repetitive aversive thought rather. I hadn't heard that one and I like it. All yeah. right. It's, it's helpful if the micro intentions thing, like if you've tried that and you're stuck or yeah, if you're finding lots of like aversion coming up. Anyway, and that, that's the thing too. I should mention that maybe spamming micro intentions work abnormally well for me, and it won't work abnormally well for everybody else. But with a lot of these, your mileage will vary, which is why it's nice to have a community slash navigator through the in the form of a therapist that you know helps navigate this terrain. So, mm-hmm. anyway, what was the thing you wanted to talk about, Inyash, before we wrap up? So, a small piece of follow up from an episode several episodes ago, which is very timely right now due to the wildfires that are happening in California. Uh, I am harkening back to the episode where I said that. Uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is not doing themselves any favors by painting all police as like uh, death squads that are roaming the streets hunting down black people because yes, there's huge problems with the police and they need to be reformed and the black people are uh, adversely, not adversely, uh, disproportionately affected by this. Uh, but But giving people the impression that there are these death squads makes things worse because when people who didn't know about it find out about this and then later find out that there aren't death squads and this isn't what it's like they are turned off because they were lied to uh i think a similar thing goes down with uh global warming and the fires that we're having right now because as uh i'm not sure how many people are aware i think it's been being yelled a lot recently that uh the primary motivation the primary cause behind the wildfires is the land policy that has been in effect in the u.s for about the last hundred years where it's been we must suppress all wildfires uh that happen anywhere and uh, that is unnatural for the West Coast because they have a fire-based ecology. And so a lot of dry t- kindling has uh, built up over the past hundred years. And yes, global warming is bad. Yes, global warming will have bad effects on billions of humans and does change the climate as well. But the wildfires aren't because of global warming. And when people find out that easily find outable fact by hearing about the hundred years of land use policy, and uh, also see all these people saying, look, the wildfires are happening because of global warming and find out that's not true, then they might go, well, is global warming not even a thing then? Should this be something I don't need to worry about? Because obviously people are willing to lie and say anything in order to get me on board. And uh, that's that's a problem. Like you lose credibility when you lie, even if it's for the greater good, even if you think this will motivate people to address global warming, which really is a real issue. Yes, it really is a real issue, but lying to people to motivate them always backfires and like don't don't do that that's shitty i think that's a good point i um i think i was under the impression that wildfires are worse now because of global warming than they were 10 years ago well i mean um, they're worse but it's not because of global warming it's because of the yeah that's, yeah, that's what i'm saying so I, I, I had the wrong impression there um like it can exacerbate global warming uh or global climate change but mm-hmm. like what was it I um, feel like I cut Stephen off. I was going to say, I just there was a great tweet that I saw screen capped on Reddit somewhere. It was like, 
the sky is literally the wrong color and you're telling mm. us you don't have the money for a new green deal or something and <laughs> which is hilarious and you know devastating at the same time but it, it gives me the impression that like you're saying a you know clean energy bill would actually solve this problem and no it turns out it won't yeah we yeah. need to change how we manage land on the west coast that would solve the problem yeah right? that's what i was gonna say uh i took a picture where i had been walking on a nature trail and some kid had like taken a stick and written no more fires and i just posted that on facebook because i feel bad about never posting anything on facebook hmm. and uh david from spear david <laughs> from the discord and uh other podcasts the mind killer uh edited the picture like it's, it's to say like no more wildfires more controlled burns <laughs> and just posted the edit and i was just like yeah actually like but like yeah exactly you know I kind of I don't like the controlled burns solution, even though I know that's the most natural solution because it still puts smoke and shit in the air. But at least a like regulated amount of it. Yeah, I I, I would much prefer like paying some company to go in there and clear out all this. But I think when you're talking about millions of, of anchor acres, yeah, I don't. That know That would if be that's using feasible. lots of equipment that burns like fossil fuels and probably. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's not a good solution. And either. also the trees, as like you pointed out, there is a fire-based ecology. Um, yes, they a lot need of that. evergreens need fire in order to germinate their seeds. Yeah, and just clearing it out would fuck the ecology up. Yeah, yeah, so that's probably a good place to stop talking about this for now <laughs> okay but i'm glad you brought that up because i had the wrong impression about it and um, i imagine I'm, I'm i imagine i'm not the only one so um yeah I, I i can't say i've lived in colorado for my whole life and this seems i think this is the worst fire season i've ever lived through here it's also a few years hottest... ago there was a really bad one i but... know in the early 2000s i don't remember exactly what year i think maybe 2004 it was after 9 11 but it was before the financial meltdown in 2008 so somewhere in the early 2000s uh there was a really bad fire season where like you could just smell smoke everywhere and i had i i, more, I think two days i woke up and there was a fine layer of ash on my car because it just literally fallen out of the sky uh i'm not sure if the season itself was worse that could have just been because the fire was of closer proximity to denver like i don't i don't have data maybe this is the worst fire season i i know that it that some of these have broken records in size anyway yeah we've broken uh, records for the hottest summer day um and also the earliest snow yeah there was this weird thing uh the first week of september where it was 90 degrees on sunday mm. and then i think 80 something on monday tuesday high of 50 or high of 40 and we had snow on and the we, we had some snow yeah. i was outside and I, I was just like feeling the temperature drop by like 10 degrees 10 mm -hmm. degrees 10 i was just like this because is i heard i heard the um weather reports and i was just like i need to experience this so i, I spent that night like out like i was trying to be outdoors as much as possible just being like there's no way it's gonna snow it was so, post, so oh weird. my god it's gonna snow should i post the picture of the little snowman made drake made on the balcony? <laughs> yeah yes okay. please <laughs> it's itty bitty but it's cute that's perfect yeah. um yeah so i mean climate change definitely a real thing that is happening yeah but don't lie about that. And I think I mention this every time, but Dan Dennett has that quote that I should get a bumper sticker of and so I can just stop saying it. But there's nothing I dislike more than a bad argument for a position I agree with. Yeah. And, and related to that, there's nothing I like more than, than like fake evidence for a position that I agree with. And it's like, yes, this is actually a problem. But every time you lie about it, you're making us look wrong. Mm -hmm. That the truth doesn't need you to lie for it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Think a patron? Yeah. Oh, this is an interesting one. Okay, so the patron we would like to thank that helps us bring the all these things that we've talked about to everyone here and have this sort of community for all of us is The Pointless One. <laughs> thank you, The Pointless One. You are uh, fantastic, and everybody who is listening to here 
Should like give a little cheer for you right now. You're not pointless at all. No. Thank you again, pointless one. I was looking through our numbers in the last couple of weeks, and even a supporter for I think two years, which is remarkable, and uh, wow. we really appreciate it. That might be as long as we've had a Patreon. It's something close to that. Yeah, something like that. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it, and uh, I may have messaged you on Patreon to ask, but literally anything we can do for you, let us know. Um, I feel like we owe you one at we'll the come very least. Beat up your bullies. <laughs> <laughs> We will deliver you donuts from Voodoo Donuts. The Voodoo Donuts are not good. Everyone in Denver <laughs> keeps saying how great Voodoo Donuts are. You go they're there, they're fucking sugar bombs. You wait in I line. Mean, that's the point. You have to pay with cash. And then it's like this this nasty, like I got the Homer Simpson. I know this is derailing, but, <laughs> but, it, but it was awful. Yeah, yeah. It, it was soaking wet from all like the That's the, the sugar stuff. that they pour in it and over it and, oh. Nah. I mean, I guess if, you're, if your taste buds have been so numbed by a... a diet of american pop which is just ridiculously <laughs> sugary maybe and then it's good but like i couldn't eat more than a couple bites it was oh yeah i think that's the point i think that they're just excessively decadent <laughs> it's not decadent it's like getting punched in the tongue <laughs> that's yeah i will say i found them overhyped and, and i was underwhelmed when i got to finally have their product so this episode is brought to you by the pointless one and voodoo donuts <laughs> <laughs> One Food of them donuts. is pointless, and that's the donuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Food donuts, they're too sweet. They've got a great logo, though. Yeah, they're really fun, like, and what they named them and all this stuff. Like, the decor in that place is awesome. Like, I see why it's popular. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Thank you, everybody, <laughs> and we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Awesome. Bye, Thanks everybody. again. Bye. Bye.